Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I don't like blood and guts, but I love them when they're lengthily discussed. Dip dip bobbity doo. Skip a poodle and peter bay. Whoa, poodle and Hold on. That's the only kind of scatting I know, and it comes from, I think, a Warner Brothers cartoon. <laughs> I was gonna say, it sounds like a Tex Avery uh, style uh, sort of uh, a wooga gave it away. Yeah, just take a drink and you're like, you do the. We've talked about this before. <laughs> the point is, I'm Matt Gorley. <laughs> yeah, so the point is, I'm Paul Rust. And this is with Gorley and Rust, the just pull the covers over your head on a rainy day, get comfy with your favorite person. Favorite cozy. pillow. Favorite pillow. Yeah. And just ease back into the easy, easy listening of a horror movie discussion. Oh, boy. I, I'm, uh, I'm there. I mean... Not literally, but right now in, in vibe and feel, I'm there with the blanket up, with the soft pillow with my buddy Matt. Oh, me too. Paul and I are, um, we're just under the covers and we've said to hell with COVID, we're just spooning. And uh, even <laughs> though it's, it's weird, it's still in your backyard. Yeah. <laughs> we're in the front yard. Oh, right. Hello. <laughs> oh, and today... We're talking body double. We're talking body double. Wow. Yeah. And I will say this off the bat. A strangely cozy movie. Now, I know that sounds weird, but it, it's not the subject matter that's cozy for me. It's the look and the music that somehow feels cozy in the fashions. I don't know. It brought out the cozy, the the the, Is the time weird? period and yeah. the music. Yeah. So what do you, what do you think it, does it recall previous cozy times for you? I think so. There's something about an 80s movie because even though there's some I don't know if high fashion is the word like when he's a vampire or when they're in the porn world like Melanie Griffith's fashion. Yes. But otherwise, it's kind of pretty much straight on 80s fashion especially for our main character. Yes, that corduroy jacket. Yeah. That mustard corduroy jacket. That hair. 
that hair. <laughs> oh boy. And then shot through just this kind of look and yeah. lens. Yeah. Yes. And uh and also uh the um actor who uh, the actress who played uh, uh Gloria Ravel. Yeah. Her outfits too are very wow. isotoner cozy. Oh, uh- <laughs> it's too hot in that movie to be wearing isotoners, but if it got cold, if it was a cold LA night, I could see her wearing isotopes. Yeah, and Melanie Griffiths wearing some kind of leather gloves at some point in the scene. Cause... Oh, was she? Well, yeah, was it one of those like kind of bicyclist glove that's like mesh with the open hole on the palm? Yeah, and yet it still has like knuckles. Batman gauntlets on it. And I was very confused by that scene. Batman <laughs> gauntlet. She looks to be wearing a glove on one hand and then having having taken off another glove and holding it but then I saw the other glove was on and then I realized oh she's taken off her underwear that looks like a glove I think oh it was it wasn't like she had taken off her other glove to to slap his face for a duel that's kind of what I thought was coming but with her underwear she slapped his face with the, uh, the ultimate or, challenge. Yes, back in the uh, original Duel days, <laughs> the ultimate challenge was to rip off your underlose <laughs> and, and swat uh, somebody in the face with it. At Waterloo, Napoleon took off his underlose. And the thing is, like, you have to be so serious about a challenge to ask your dueling opponent, your grand rival, to stand there while you take off your, you know, your boots. Ooh, yeah. Them. You take off your trousers, which probably have, like, jodhpurs in them, so it's not easy. Then you take off your underwear. Then you have to walk over to that person still wearing a full general's outfit from oh. the waist up. <laughs> And slap them with your underwear. That's that's when you really mean business. <laughs> yeah, because he had to go. That's a lot of work in terms of wardrobe. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, Man, wow. But if that's how somebody knew, oh boy, <laughs> I, I'm out of luck. <laughs> this Here guy's we go. Serious. Yeah, this is getting serious. <laughs> this is how Napoleon got where he is today. Like, yeah, that the, the person who got challenged that day would come home and they would be like. Honey, I got challenged to a duel, and she's like, yeah, "So what?" And he's like, "No, with the underloos." You got an underloo duel? Yeah, he was wearing this whole general's outfit, but who? General Bismarck. Oh my God! <laughs> Get your things. We're leaving. Whatever country General Bismarck is in, <laughs> we know the one. <laughs> <laughs> look it up, listener. <laughs> you know what else you can look up? Oh, boy. What? With Gorley and Rust on Patreon. Oh, of course. That's great. I love that segue. Thank you. Truly. You go to patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust. If you're a, just a free feed listener, no shame on you. But if you want to get deeper into the world of with Gorley and Rust, you'll find feature-length commentaries, mailbag episodes, a full chat forum with a culture like you can't believe. There's Ooh. a world going on over there. Uh, 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 yeah, beautiful uh, Earth 2.0. Yeah, this is where when Earth craps out, <laughs> people are heading. Yeah, yep. they're already. I mean, the lead, like the the advanced terraformers, are there, <laughs> and these guys are wonderful. They're creating. When you join this discus, you you get a welcome message. You get uh, Loomis gifts on the hour. It's. I mean, I don't even know where to just start. I went back in there the other day, and I, I felt like a babe in the woods. And you saw Loomis gifts, you said. Oh, yeah. And you can do Loomis emojis and Jason and Freddie emojis. Oh, my gosh. I know that's probably pretty simple, but I was like a kid no? in a candy shop. I, yeah, I would love to eat a little Jason candy. 
Shouldn't they make little candies of all these guys? Certainly somebody has made um, a sugar cookie where the icing is Jason, you know. Yeah. We had this at our bakery uh, growing up where you'd get like, I think they'd probably get some sort of tracing paper and they'd put it over a big sugar cookie and put the icing. But ours was of kind of like a shoulders and head shot of Michael Jackson in his yellow vest. Did you know that picture with the white shirt and the yellow vest? Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, is that off the wall? No, what is that? I think it might be... Maybe it's not a yellow vest. Maybe I'm combining that with Wasson's yellow uh, corduroy jacket and body double. <laughs> <laughs> it, or maybe it's the white vest. It's the one that he wore, I think, in Thriller okay. or around that time. Oh, yeah. yeah. But you could go and eat Michael Jackson's head if wow, you want to. Wow, that's yeah. just... There's so much to to. I know, I know. That. It's a, it's a it's a lot to unpack there. It really is. Uh, well, let's not. Okay, so uh, yeah. Well, if people are joining us for the first time too, yeah. Uh, and, and if you do join uh, the Patreon, uh, but welcome everyone to a uh, it's a cozy. If you haven't gotten the impression yet, yeah. easy listening podcast where gosh Gorley how many movies have we discussed so far it's gotta be past 50 right yeah I think we've beaten all the franchises we've talked about oh yeah long since and yeah. we do these cozy casts currently in the backyard for safety reasons but I also add in sounds of trash trucks coming by like you might hear in the distance right now uh, it's called authenticity yeah. capital A yeah sound and design too yeah yeah, you wouldn't want it any other way. No. Like, you listen to something like uh, your true crime podcast where you just hear the reporter walking the, walking the beat, visiting the fam, bothering the families of murder victims. <laughs> and we keep it here in the backyard, but then we add in the ambience. You know how I know something is true? If I hear a car door slam. <laughs> If I don't hear that car door slam, I'm like, this is bullshit. They could be making this up in a studio. I'm like, well... I don't think they could get a car at a studio, so I got to trust this. Uh, you know what else, too, is when you hear the alert noise that your key's still in the ignition when you open the door. <laughs> that's how you know it's a true, yes. true crime podcast. Yeah, yeah I think we're going to, uh, yeah, annoy this family of this murder victim. Okay, good. I'm showing up unannounced at the home of uh, 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 Marlon Tate, father of Sharon Tate. What am I talking about right now? <laughs> Welcome to With Gorley and Ross. Oh, yeah. And I was uh, saying all that to lead up to say, uh, oh, my gosh, I was thinking on the way over here. I just feel so happy about this podcast. Yeah. It makes me so happy to get to do it with you. And also, I just I'm fully in love with the vibe and the feel of the podcast. And it's, it's truly... Uh, such a highlight to get to do this with uh, you, my friend. Not to rub each other's backs, which we are physically doing right now, but yeah, metaphorically, I'm telling you, Thursdays is when we record this, and I have now done my best to block everything else out on a Thursday so that I have this mini weekend in the middle of the <laughs> yes. week. Because typically after this, I'll try to edit the episode and then just put on a cozy movie. Yeah, And, nice. and beginning the day with this podcast... And that's 50 episodes in. Most podcast duos by this time are at each other's throats. <laughs> Opie and Anthony? Yeah, or by this point, they've slept with each other. Oh, yeah. And then they've fallen out of oh, yeah. love, fallen back in love, fallen out of love. And we're like, 
the anti-moonlighting. <laughs> we're not going to spoil this by sleeping together. No, we're sun darkening. <laughs> sun darking. Sun, sun blind. Blinding. No, that is so funny. I'm very <laughs> tickled by sun darkening. <laughs> Truly, we're, we're making steps to be the sun darkening, the anti-moon. Uh, well, new listeners, it, it was nice to have you for about 15 minutes. Bye. Then, uh, <laughs> we'll stick with the people we got. Um, but yeah, okay, so let's talk about Body Double. This is your first time watching first it. First time, yeah. So... Your 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 first impressions was the coziness of the uh, uh, the feel of the look of the movie. Yeah, and I didn't expect the titles really threw me because they start yeah. in a campy style that is what I then learned in line with what the movie is that they're making within the movie, and I loved how it was fading into the kind of serious, almost fatal attraction type font. Of body double, yeah, pretty interesting. Yeah, they keep that blood font. You're right. They keep that blood font up until the body double title comes up, and then they go to. But it starts off. I really like. I saw this when I was a early college student. Oh, okay. I saw blowout before I saw. Uh, I saw blowout when I was in high school. Then I saw Dress to Kill. Then I saw Body Double in that order. Okay. And uh, so I have enough of a memory of like my first impressions. And I totally with you, dude. I remember when I first saw this, I was like, what is up with these credits? And how did it like get onto the Body Double title? Like it, it shouldn't be the drippy blood thing anymore. So did you not see it? transition you just checked in after that it happened no i or? noticed when it very start, begins because it's like on this like cool full moon yeah and you hear like a wolf howl yeah and these fake bats maybe I'm, or am i, I picking up because later remember. there's fake bats yeah. and i just watched this yesterday i did too. and i've seen it 25 times probably <laughs> but like uh but yeah they back off and it's like dripping blood font and then yeah it goes to the the it continues uh what's crazy about it too is that's happening over a facade yeah that's getting pulled away on a movie studio lot so you're like have literally um close to literally like three layers of fakery yeah you got this like title which is already credits are a fake thing but then there's like blood on it and then it's on a fake facade a, a fake facade <laughs> and a facade and then it's pulled away and then you're on a studio lot dude of a movie being made yeah of a movie of a horror movie being made of a real movie and a real movie being made yeah 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 and, uh the closest uh, in blowout it starts with a fake slasher movie and mm. oh, since i had I seen blowout beforehand i was a little more equipped in Body Double, when it started off as a vampire movie and stuff, I was like, not as like surprised as I could have been. I think I was. And I may need you to hold my hand through this one because I can't tell. I, I feel like I don't speak Brian De Palma very well because I can't tell when he's kind of winking and when he's serious. And I, it's like 
kind of Mona Lisa thing for me. It's the same thing with Charles yeah, yeah. Bronson. Like, I can't tell if that guy's a good <laughs> leading man or not. I can't tell. Or if it's just by, like, the courage and strength of his conviction that you are, like, somehow hypnotized into, like, believing. Something, or there's just an authority to the grittiness of, not all of his movies, certainly, but yeah. sometimes, especially his early stuff, like Great Escape of Magnificent, Magnificent Seven, where he's yeah. surrounded by so many greats that I take it for granted that he's a great. But then yeah. you get him in his own movie, and sometimes it's a really good, gritty movie, so you buy it, and then so many of his movies are schlock. I'm left wondering <laughs> what's going on. Brian De Palma reminds me of that. It's got a, like, kind of film cred to it, but I can't tell. And I'm so I'm so excited to talk about this. And yeah. that's why I want to know, like, your first time watching this movie. Yeah. What were, what was going on when you were watching? Like, what was what was it? Yeah. Well, I, I just, well, I'll answer that, but I just want to respond to, like, yeah, I hear you about, like, uh, I think, yeah, De Palma can be very... I think, you know, divisive, divisive. I just find it fascinating and it makes me want to investigate further. You uh, know what I mean? Well, yeah, and I guess you weren't even saying anything divisive no, there. No, uh, It was more about that question of, like, when is he winking, when is it genuine, which I wouldn't maybe say is, like, the question. It, it's maybe one of three of the questions you kind of <laughs> ask when you're watching any of his movies. Because does sort he of even like, know? Yeah. Well, there comes a pivotal scene in this movie where I had a lot of like, it was so filled with the, is this cheeky or is this genuine that it took years later until it got answered by Brian De Palma. Oh my God, I'm on. I'm so, on <laughs> to be continue that. Tenter hooks. Yeah. Okay, good. Oh, wow. God. Oh, I'm. I'm I mean, should I do it now so there you can it's have the you. answer? I, I'm in your hands for this episode because I feel like you are a, a you are steeped in Brian De Palma, where I am not, and I want to be taken into this world. That's as, nice of you to say, but you know, some, we've talked about it. Sometimes you don't want. There's the fear of you don't want to be the kid who's bringing who's been to the amusement park once and then bringing <laughs> no, I want a buddy for kid. the first time he's like we gotta go over here because uh, this is the fastest line and uh i want that guy maybe Neil, not that Neil guy Campbell that was voice. the person who underlined that personality we were at a theme park was it was like can you imagine like when you were 15 years old if you had been here first how much every new experience you're having you're just applied to the universe always <laughs> like every time you come here the corn dog stand is very fast uh, so uh, please, I don't want to be that way with the. I don't Brian take you that way. And okay, I I'm just asking for a guide. Okay, okay, okay. Thank you <laughs> for the permission that I asked for. Thank you, thank you. Uh, so what have you launched right into? Okay, well here's what you got to do. I don't know why I'm a professional wrestler. But. <laughs> I was going to say that was very uh, Randy Savage. <laughs> Wait till you see Raising Kane. You're gonna love it. By the way, <laughs> that came up as a you might also like after watching this film, and I might in a series of one-offs pick a Raising Cane because I've never seen it and it looks batshit crazy. Raising Cane is so fun. Okay, I believe And that. just as we're getting into Body Double, yeah. there's an eight-year stretch, eight, Body Double 84, Raising Cane 92, where De Palma didn't make a, a, you know, De Palma movie, like a thriller, Hitchcock sort of thing. He was so, into his like Scarfaces and Untouchables and things like Scar that. Yeah, Scarface was right before Body Double. Okay. And then uh and the line over here is really fast. Uh, 
<laughs> he made it right before Body Double. No, but like Untouchables, Wise Guy, or uh, Wise Guys, Untouchables, oh, never Casualties of guys. War. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, And then Bonfire of the Vanities. Oh, yeah. The flop. Oh, wow. And so Raising Cain is like his scurrying back. But just uh, since we're bringing it up, and I, this gets back to your original question, which was like sort of, uh, my feelings when I saw this um, and combining that just sort of like with the like what happened before so Scarface was like right before this uh-huh. and I think it was very much critically uh, loathed was it Scarface was yeah so just college guys liked and <laughs> yeah. still okay <laughs> even the week Scarface came out there was already posters up in okay. dorm rooms of guys okay. like being like I love him. <laughs> no, even like Pauline Kale, who loved Brian De Palma and would was very instrumental in his career. Uh, uh, him being taken seriously as a filmmaker, she didn't like Scarface. Okay, I don't think she liked Body Double either. Uh, <laughs> I think her review of Body Double is like you're wondering. I think it was the same thing. It was sort of like you don't know if you're the. I'm totally probably getting it wrong, but it was basically like. Is this what kind of joke is this? Yeah. Uh, who's the butt of the joke or what? But um, not exactly like that. But like anyway, uh, Scarface was sort of like culturally and critically, people were like that was too violent and uh, too bloody. And then the MPAA was this huge fight oh. about Scarface, whether it was going to get an X rating. And Brian De Palma stated in like interviews, he came out of that going, the next movie I'm going to make is going to be X-rated and middle fingers up. So you can watch this movie through the lens of, he knows maybe this is the last one he's going to be making for a while. Oh, he claims in his documentary, you can't plan, plan a career. But if you watch this, even just going blow out, dress to kill, then this, it's so just like, uh, see ya, MFers. Uh, I'm out of here. I'm going to do the most bonkers kind of like, and just push the limits of sex and violence. So that's why the last shot of the movie is a woman's bare chest with blood coming down and like fading out on that image is such a like, what are you going to do now? Like, I I love it because it's so uh, bombastic and like juvenile this is why i need you to run me through the theme park because that context matters for this film i'm coming at this film blind and i'm left wondering why certain things are the way they are that makes a lot more sense to me yeah with with risking saying something too hyperbolic i think it's the most de palma of a de palma movie (laughs) it's like the most extreme of that and uh yeah, it's like going the furthest with stuff to the point that, like, I think he knows lots of it is in poor taste. Interesting. The other thing, uh, just career-wise, that's, like, really interesting to put in context. I don't think he's ever discussed this. But, um, you know, he's part of the movie Brats. And right. so he's making this movie in 83, 84-ish, because it comes out in 84. He's coming off, like... Steven Spielberg has made E.T. Uh-huh. George Lucas has completed Return of the Jedi, has like mega trilogy that has like or changed everything. Same with E.T. and Jaws. Martin Scorsese has made like Raging Bull. Uh-huh. 
which I think when it came out, it was like lauded as a masterpiece. And Francis Ford Coppola, by this point, has made like a few masterpieces. Right. I think Carrie is like a masterpiece, so he and Blowout too, so he didn't have to be worried. But it just seems like a little bit like um, some petulance. Like if I can't be, if I can't be making yes. or being received as a master like they are, I'm going to sink the ship and take and like have fun doing it. Like I'm going to go the other way, so I can't fail. Basically, is that kind of yeah? What so yeah. there's some sort of like ah. in characters in movies, people in life that you don't have to like get to know too well. Self sabotage is yeah. a very interesting thing. So when you kind of see it cinematically in a way, it's it's fun to. Oh, There's a lot of choices here that I feel is like trying to blow up his career, Hollywood, something, and to like be doing that after your buddies have made ET and oh. the Star Wars trilogy. That has made the most sense I've ever been able to make out of a De Palma trajectory. <laughs> Ever. Well, I, right on. Okay. Okay. Because at times I can't. You know. Tell me how, your diploma-like experience. I don't have much of one because I, I always knew the name, but around the time I was watching his films, they were so scattershot. I watched them so far out of order that I wasn't aware of a De Palma brand. Because I'm like, I think Untouchables is probably the De Palma film I've seen the most. I've seen it so many times. Yeah. I love it. In many ways, it's. It's definitely got the De Palma-isms in it, but it's surrounded by all these other things that right. it's not as obvious. Even yeah. though something's off, and I don't mean that in a bad way with that film, I've always thought that there's something just so strange about yes. that movie, and yet it's got, on paper, everything it needs. Yeah. But even like the Armani costumes, it's almost like one step to Dick Tracy, uh-huh. or somewhere in between like a Godfather and Dick Tracy, and yet... It's still so good, but like the parts don't add up. Yeah, to the yeah, whole yeah. Or something I don't know. I know what you mean. It's like a studio, slick studio movie that like has some extra touch of bizarre. Yeah. That like, right? If you just sit down and watch Untouchables, you'd be like, "So what was up with that?" Like, you and somebody might not be able to put words to it, but like that way the camera was like coming down from the ceiling while somebody gave a speech and then like ended on them like yeah, uh, hitting then, somebody yeah, with a bat and yeah. then like a gangster in a lemon chiffon mohair <laughs> coat with a fur collar which are, you know probably there were but something everything's heightened and like Del Close is in it and you know <laughs> it's just yeah it's baffling and I think I, I so I didn't have a kind of full understanding of Brian De Palma especially the early times and so like this type of Brian De Palma movie is a little bit foreign to me I was aware mm-hmm. of his like return to this with 8mm right he did that uh, no that's Joe no uh, Snake Eyes yeah Snake Eyes what yeah. that's what I mean yeah and like I was aware of R- Raising Cane and even when that came out seeing the trailer going that's batshit crazy you know yeah so I, I never knew quite what to make of him and then, like, when I was watching this movie, because before you kind of put it into what I really think is a good context, there's those movies that have a lot of nudity that feels like a mandate from a producer in a studio. Of, like, <laughs> we need to check these boxes. With De Palma's nudity, I was always like, I don't think that's the studio. It actually feels like De Palma just wants to see boobs on this given day. <laughs> that could very well be. And so now, though, learning what you said, I'm 
I'm fast. I'm so fascinated and I can't grasp the tone and I'm along for the ride a hundred percent because I, I find myself being, I watch these movies from an outsider perspective, but that to me is just as enjoyable sometimes. Like I'm never, I was never brought into Jake Scully's like fear in the same way that I am Jimmy Stewart in Vertigo or something. Yes. Because these movies are obviously very similar. Yeah, there was some moment too in some scene where he did some, such a, I never noticed it before watching this movie. He does such a Jimmy Stewartism at some point. I'm like, oh, Wasson's in on this. <laughs> well, was he cast because he does have an everyman feel like Jimmy yeah. Stewart used to have, though he becomes the most distinctive individual Jimmy Stewart does. And to say, like, Wasson obviously is an interesting choice for this, but compared to the Nightmare movie he's in, he's not bad in it. It's, yeah. it's, there's one point where he ironically it's when he's in the acting class and he's being told that he can't act and then he breaks out of that and as a character starts crying that i was like oh i believed you right before that but then when you start crying as the character you'll oh my god i'm so stoked to dig into it is it too early that i'm already gonna pee my pants and i have to like take a I'll be right there with you in, okay, in so a you different restroom. Okay, so you said this before yeah. the break. Yeah. Oh. You called the body double. I'll just... Okay. It was called a potty double, and I think it's brilliant. It's perfect, because we're both going to go do one. Yes! <laughs> the two of us. <laughs> we'll be right back. With and A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. With and Potties doubled. Yes, the potties have been doubled. <laughs> and lucky me, twice now when I've gone into your house to use the, the bathroom, I was going to call it a restroom, which sometimes I say when I'm talking about somebody's <laughs> domestic bathroom. Uh, uh, two sightings of Margo the cat. Oh, boy. Lucky me. Oh, she's been in rare form lately, waking us up at 4 a.m. Why? She's got a spring fever. She's spayed, but... She, uh, she hears birds and she just wants to like, I don't know what. She, she hears bees? She, uh, she, I, there is something going on with her like hormones or something that wow. she's like needs to be like tussled with and played with and you know. Spring fever. But it's her schedule. Let me tell you. <laughs> oh yeah. God. It's Margo's world. We're just it, living it. It is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, the other thing that uh, I, I did think of, like putting in context with when I watch Body Double or Dress to Kill, then this. Yeah. Um, Dress to Kill begins with a shower scene 
where when you're watching it, you go, this can't be the person's head and body. It must be two different people because it's Angie Dickinson's head oh, right. and then her body. And you're but just it's like, cutting away. It's cutting between the two. Yeah, like this movie. In the shower. Yeah. And then so when you see body double, you go, oh, he's referencing the fact that they did like a, <sighs> he had a body double on set for this last movie he did or two movies ago. Or, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I think I remember seeing that going, there's no way Angie Dickinson got nude for this. Policewoman? Yeah. That's <laughs> against the law. <laughs> oh, my wife Leslie said the funniest. She said it to me last time since the last time we recorded. Um, it's so great. She was talking about how what's that Grateful Dead song that's like um, something something driving high on cocaine? Oh, Casey jo- uh, Casey Jones. Casey Jones. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Uh, but she reminded me of a thing that when you're a kid, sometimes happens where when she first heard that, she was like. Well, they must be joking, because if they seriously were high on cocaine, the police could come and arrest them for singing the song. And I, it, oh yeah, I it reminded me when I was a kid. I would hear somebody like sing about doing something. I was like, "Help! Uh, that's a confession. <laughs> that's admissible." Yeah, you're going to you be brought into a rights? court of law. Oh, my first cassette I ever got, my mom took my sister and me to the warehouse and I got Journey's Escape and took it home wow. and like three, two, three hours went into the living room with the cassette. I laid it on the dining room table and I said, Fun. mom, I can't. They <gasps> use drugs. <laughs> Gourley! Oh my gosh! And she goes, just because they do doesn't mean you have to. And she kind of like slid the cassette back to me. <laughs> And I went, thanks, Mom. There are like five to six gems of information <laughs> there that were all amazing. But also Journey. They're not even hard. <laughs> what was the song? <laughs> it was the whole album Escape, so like Don't Stop Believing. That like their No, big... but I mean what's the song that references that they do drugs? I just I don't there wasn't one. I just assumed if they're rock and roll musicians, they're drug users. Oh <laughs> so you didn't even get like a tip off. They didn't have a song that was like No, I'm the ultimate narc. Supply it. Dude. Yeah, I'm a narc with no evidence. Oh. Like a witch hunter. And the sweetest of narcs, <laughs> narking on yourself. <laughs> to my mom. A self-nark to your mom oh. about a non-existent drug song. But then I just listened to Journey guilt-free and it lost something. <laughs> <laughs> I knew a guy I worked at a... <laughs> yeah, you liked it when it had that edge. I know. <laughs> I worked at a grocery store in high school where... There was an older guy. I think he had a family, and he wasn't working. He wasn't stocking shelves and stuff like me. He was just working the deli department or somebody. Uh-huh. And somebody was like, "Hey, he told me that Dreamweaver was his favorite song until he found out it was about drugs." <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't. I don't even know if it is. I love that he took somebody's word and he gave up a pleasurable thing in his life at risk of what? <laughs> My aunt was when Physical by Olivia Newton John was popular. It was on the radio everywhere, and she's like, I really like that song. But I don't like the part where she goes, Let's get animal. I just, it just feels dirty. Whoa! Yeah. It is. Yeah, Let's I think get that's animal. A yeah. I Gosh, get Newton John was pushing some. But, and you've said, I remember hearing on a previous podcast, maybe it was on James Bonding, where you mentioned that um, it's magic. 
Yeah. Uh, like would give you feelings. Yeah. Hearing that song as a uh, young man, young boy. Yeah. Blondie too. Blondie did that to me big time. Like, oh yeah. Oh, well that's very, um, similar to, uh, <laughs> I mean, Deborah Harry is way better than this. So I don't know. I don't mean to compare, but like the, the, ma, 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 just this kind of like <laughs> more, more, more. What's that? More, more, more. How do you like it? Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Well, that's a sexy song. By a porn actress. I didn't know that. I think she dabbled. Oh. Um, A hobbyist porn actress? Well, to bring it all back to to, to, to Body Double, did you know that... um, And this kind of goes with what you were saying about... um, Did Brian De Palma... How much was he wanting just nudity on set? Yeah. He screen tested and got in trouble with the studio when they found out he was screen testing a porn actress for the role of Holly Body that was later played by Melody Griffith. Annette Haven. Porn actress Annette Haven. Can you imagine? She's on the Warner Brothers lot, the Columbia lot. (laughs) About to break through. Yeah. And that'd been awesome if Brian DeBalbo was trying to cast a porn actress in a major co-starring role in a, in a major movie but it wasn't meant to be they stopped it the coca-cola company really they owned columbia at the time so they stopped the screen test before it happened or her being in she had a screen test oh, and brian I de palma see. claimed claimed just that melanie griffith was a better gave a better performance uh, screen test i thought you were heading towards like he was just screen testing actresses to kind of get them nude Oh, in front of him or something. No, I wasn't <laughs> saying that, but I can't say one way. Yeah, who's to say? <laughs> Annette Haven was one that he, uh, yes. I did watch that Brian De Palma documentary where he just talks about all his films. And it is sort of easy to kind of put that guy, like that version of him on these. So I never know how much I'm, because he's, he's a funny type of guy he's an interesting dude yeah and so i'd say he has like a uh very funny yeah but has kind of like a sharp wit yeah and he's think? he's aware he's self-aware it seems but he's also uh he reminds me of one of those people that's like very aware of their foibles but kind of addressing the foibles is enough <laughs> for that person they don't need Instead to of like, working on yeah them. not no judgment <laughs> but you know i know a few people like that in my life <laughs> yeah. could also be a generational thing not yeah. to like broad stroke it too much but i think that might also just be that's a real boomer thing isn't it <laughs> i mean you don't even get the self-awareness sometimes with the boomers you're lucky to get to get that yeah well the thing that i think yeah like the diploma thing that like seems like it shows up a lot that feels like it's on his mind uh, and whatever biographical easy biographical like armchair analysis but like that I could give is like um when he was a young boy he was the middle I think of three brothers and his dad was a uh respected surgeon oh um so he saw like blood all the time when his dad, he'd visit and see his dad doing a surgery or something. Wow. That, that idea was very easy for it, like the body. And so it was like, okay and natural. Uh-huh. And then 
but it, he never saw his father because he was always working nonstop at the hospital. And he found out his dad was cheating on his mom. So he tried to set up a surveillance system to get his catch his dad so he could show it to his mom. Filmmaker at a young age. Yeah. Well, and then in Dress to Kill, you'll remember, like, Keith Gordon sets up a camera to be able to photograph who's yeah. coming in and out of the analysis office to be able to find out who killed his mom. Yeah. So this idea kind of like, you know, I think the easy explanation is when a child feels like their mother is in danger from what their father is doing that could hurt her or the family. It like creates a like dynamic that's sort of like difficult to shake from that point forward. And when I watch De Palma movies, I do see like over and over again, it's a guy is helpless at like rescuing or saving a woman. Whoa. And then is like tortured by that. Like, or, or his life is defined by this quality. Paul, you're, I, I don't, I, I, I should have, like, we should have had this discussion first. Now I want to go back and watch all these things. And I guarantee you the listeners too are going like, th- thank you for oh. elucidating all this stuff. Because I, I feel like you're unlocking De Palma for me in a way that I've never been able to oh, do. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. All right. Wow. Well, wow. if I ever get to De Palma splainy, I don't want to tap me on the shoulder. You're not coming okay. across okay. as splainy. You're coming across as brainy. <laughs> Rather than splainy smurf, brainy smurf. <laughs> splainy, splainy smurf. Nope, not like that. This is how you make a house out of a mushroom. Who's your favorite smurf? <laughs> splainy smurf. Splainy smurf is. He's got a good heart. If you want to track Osriel, you got to do it like this. Uh, but yeah, a lot of movies. So Just to Kill, obviously, uh, Blowout. That's like a pivotal thing in that movie. Never seen Blowout. Ooh, we can watch it, brother. Yeah. It'd be really fun. Yeah. And then uh, Casualties of War is all about that. Mm. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. That, to I some remember. extent, Carrie and uh, Snake Eyes a little bit. Not I don't so much, think but. I've seen Snake Eyes. Um, the stuff he writes, which... For me, I think that's like the most when I feel like it's a De Palma movie is when he either writes or co-writes like Body Double This. Because then not only is it just like character, behavior, and attitudes or whatever all like filled with his brain and vibe, his unfiltered look at the world, to the extent like if in that Barney's Beatery scene, yeah, in the background, the male extras leer at the female extras. I noticed that, yeah. And it's intentional. Yeah, like, sure. There are two extras there that you can't help but look at them. Or, yeah. you know, they're the only ones there. Yeah. And then two women walk in and they're both like looking at them. I'm like, this movie is so lurid and horny that even the extras <laughs> are like horny. But uh, uh, so when he's writing these, I feel like it is kind of like this untapped, like his brain. But uh, for me, in a way, sometimes it's like most importantly with the storytelling and he makes really fun 
choices that just like come out of left field. Like I think it's like 70 minutes in where they just like have the detective show up and explain for five minutes to uh, Jake, Craig Watson's character, like sort of like even just having that murder happen in this direct center of the movie. And then Melanie Griffith's character doesn't get um, introduced until... 75 minutes in yeah, the movie? That's this, why like, yeah. I'm sure it gets tiring comparing De Palma to Hitchcock, but the Vertigo th- connections here are unavoidable. But right. also Psycho, just the fact that you think you have a main character that kind of gets killed. Yeah, and Rear weird. Window. It's all mixed up. Like rear Yeah, window, definitely. That's right. Yeah, it does feel like head. Hitchcock's greatest hits. because even Particularly Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. Because it is Vertigo and Rear Window are both Jimmy Stewart's. It's yeah. It's not even like... A Cary Grant throw it in there or anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating. But the Psycho, too, as well, yeah. Uh, but the doctor explaining kind of feels a little bit like Yeah, the detective. Psycho, and the, then the kill, killer of a sort. And and the, yeah, uh, the, um, right, and then the, the Vertigo thing, what you're saying is like the doubling thing of seeing a woman and then she dies and then seeing the woman who was in his mind, a double, like, uh, yeah. And especially the, the claustrophobia standing in for vertigo really, correct. really yes, like yes. that's when it first really keyed in to me that, cause you always hear De Palma's a devotee of Hitchcock and I don't, I'm not the type that likes to watch it and go there, 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 there. Yeah. But that jumped out at me as, Oh, totally. Yeah, cause also even the camera that whatever you, that, that zoom, yeah. you know, um, dolly in or whatever. Yeah. He said the whole Hitchcock thing is like, uh, Really interesting about him, huh? Because he doesn't seem to like uh, say no about it. Like if he, it's brought up, he's like unabashed in his praise for Hitchcock and the fact that he's. And I think we said this at the very end of the last podcast that like his feelings are on is like it's just a uh, that mode and genre of like the thriller is just like maybe the best way to sort of explore cinematic ideas and and execute idea like yeah my favorite sequence in this movie is uh probably the part with the um her murder and the amount of times that it goes back and forth between <laughs> he's ahead the killer's ahead he's down da- uh Jake's down Jake is up for a minute the killer's down mm-hmm. in terms of uh, yeah. whose status or whatever. Yeah. And just the clear, like, uh, suspense of he's over here, he's trying to get to her in time before that thing happens. It's just like, it's so satisfying to watch somebody just like play that out. And so I think that's probably, you know, it's just like that's obviously a Hitchcock thing. But uh, if you're going to. But I do feel I like Hitchcock. I love Hitchcock, but I love De Palma more because it's Interesting, like, yeah. I think he's doing things that like Hitchcock would have if he could have been making movies in the 70s, 80s, That's and 80s. what I'm finding yeah. the most fascinating. So when I used to watch Hitchcock as a, as a young man and I kind of had to a fault this sort of thing of like, let's not all read too much into everything. <laughs> but you would hear like the subtext of these Hitchcock scenes is this, this, and this. Yeah. There's like a real eroticism here or a homoeroticism right. and all this stuff. And it was always kind of like, okay, professor. Blah, 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 <laughs> yeah. blah. But then you watch those films enough and you like, you really 
sink into them and you, they're obviously there. Like Hitchcock knew what he was doing and he knew what he had to tamp down to get away with it. Right. Where De Palma doesn't. So it's Hitchcock unleashed kind of. Yeah. It's, it's like Hitchcock is subtextual and De Palma is, has no subtext. Oh yeah. That's know? interesting. Right. And yeah. It's, I'm just thankful you get to see both versions of these things because they both yeah. have their merits and both have their limitations too. Like, mm-hmm. and so I'm fascinated by this version that is just like Hitchcock after dark, basically, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if there was a Hitchcock channel. Yeah. When when it would be like 11 p.m., they'd start airing like the De Palma <laughs> yeah. movies. Yeah. Uh, what's your, um, I mean, I'd say Psycho is probably my favorite Hitchcock, not to be a normie, but uh, oh, what's your favorite? Mine's hands down North by Northwest. Oh, I'm what a pleasure that is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm crazy for it in every way. I just <sighs> adore it. Yeah. It's... Not that I don't like the others. I, I mean, yeah, and yeah. not to speak for you, I'm sure there's many things you love about it, but that might be, of all movies, the most A-plus of wardrobes. Oh, God. Holy it, moly. I think it beats the Bond movies for wardrobes. And I think we talked about this before, that Hitchcock was supposed to make the first Bond movie, and then he did it, and then North by Northwest came before the Bond movies, yeah. but they're both kind of... And Cary Grant, Cubby Broccoli wanted Cary Grant and Cary Grant was going to do it, but he didn't want to do more than one necessarily. Oh. So they'd said, well, we better not. He, um, I mean, who's to say if Cary Grant would have been James Bond, I'm sure it would have been awesome. But I'd have to say, I think he lacks the like meanness that's like I necessary. Agree. I agree. Cause he also would have made James Bond, Cary Grant rather than being James Bond, you know, like, just, Oh, of course. Yeah. It's not like they had any yeah. like real allegiance to the James Bond. They would have just been like, that's what Kim yeah. Charming is. Uh, My name is Bond. Yeah. James Bond. <laughs> what are you doing, Dr. No? <laughs> Aren't you supposed to be English? Whatever. I'm transatlantic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's one of the queens. Uh, transatlantic. Yeah, is I it guess its own it's, country? It's just just outside international waters, somewhere <laughs> near Bermuda. <laughs> is that from the same uh, area as Catherine Hepburn's from? Oh yes, we're together? neighbors. What? We're neighbors. <laughs> oh, okay. We have two trailers on an island. You see. <laughs> Love to come visit sometime. Ah, my door is always open. Post COVID? Yes, I'm just lining up strips of LSD. <laughs> I've heard this about you. Oh, you, oh, yeah. When you wanted to die, you wanted to do it while you're tripping? Basically, I live in a terry cloth robe <laughs> and just lick little stamps. <laughs> you were doing that pre-LSD. Was I? I think you were known for licking little stamps. Hard to remember what's past and future these days. That's true. Very tr- well when you're tripping. Are you tripping right now, Cary Grant? I believe I've even lost my Cary Grant voice. <laughs> The true sign that you're on the next level of tripping, dude. Oh, I'm when- Grant Carey. Oh, <laughs> you're like everything's upside down. I'm Carey Grant. Who in Peanuts was like the gruff Snoopy? Oh, or- Spike. Spike from Needles. <laughs> from Needles, California. <laughs> I didn't know he was from Needles, yeah, California. Yeah, I don't know why I know that. But uh, Grant Carey is the spike. <laughs> He's the unshaven yeah. LSD Carey Grant. Oh, yeah, North by Northwest. Oh, my God. Oh, hold on. This is... No, never mind. What? I was going to... I started trying to learn oil painting, and the first thing I did was was try to paint the Van Damme house from the end of... 
but it's embarrassing. It Can you off, show me? I was. I have it in there, but it's it. It went off a cliff, no pun intended. <laughs> you can show me if no, you want to. You don't want to see it. I'd love to see it. No, no, no. Well, would you feel good about okay, it? Okay, I may try again. <laughs> but I just love that house. It's not a real house. It's a model. Yeah. But it's just the design of it is incredible. And Oh, those movies that go by uh, Style by the Mile? Yeah. Sometimes... They definitely hang up or uh, 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 hold up more than any sort of message movie that was made at that time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, style goes far. Uh, sentimentality doesn't. No. Yeah. It really doesn't. Yeah, Look get out of here. Crash. <laughs> well, what are we going to cover Crash on this podcast? The Cronenberg or the Haggis? The Haggis. <laughs> Just because it's a horror film, because it's horrible. Yeah, <laughs> it fills me with horror. <laughs> I was in a play in grad school, and we had this visiting director from Tashkent, Russia. Hmm. And he would go, cut, Matt, play, Matt, please. No horrible movie acting. I went, what? What? No, no horrible movie acting. I went, what are you, are you, I'm doing horrible acting? No, you're acting like in horrible movie, horror movie, horror movie. <laughs> And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, my God. If you went into a video store and they had the section of horrible <laughs> drama, comedy, and horrible. He, he had, I could never understand him. And it wasn't that I couldn't understand his accent, his word choices. So one time he said to me, please, Matt, do like Sharon Stone. But he wasn't saying Sharon Stone. I don't know what he was saying. Do like, I, all I could. You're certain he wasn't saying it. Maybe, maybe he meant to uncross my legs. I don't know. Because you were wearing a. White cocktail dress. I was. I was and still am. <laughs> okay, body double. Okay, body double. Okay, Google. <laughs> um, so, all right, let's dig in. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, um, well, first of all. Okay. Sorry. You, no, you first. This is three out of four movies that are LA movies. That we've done. I'm grateful for that. Drag me to hell. Yeah. People under the stairs. People under the stairs in this. Not to mention some of the commentaries we've been covering, too. Lots of L.A. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's one of the reasons to love this movie. It's yeah. a it's a, a goddamn travel log. It really is. Of L.A. locations, but also some that have gone away. So it's nice to uh, yeah. see them or, or have changed. Yeah. Their surroundings have changed. I'm pretty sure when they go to the beach house, it's Long Beach, and that was like five minutes from where I used to live. <gasps> Did you live on a multi-tiered balcony? No, I wish. <laughs> Did you ever voyeurize somebody from the upper balcony just down at no, the, I the was the I was on an upper balcony, so God knows what people saw. Did you see anything from the, the uh, down, looking down? No, although... For six years, I lived in this magic cabin that was Whoa. one house away from the beach, and it was like a part. It was a annex of another. Did you hear the ocean? Oh yeah, but it was a bay, so there wasn't like heavy waves. Yeah, it was like an inlet, nice. but there was a sand beach there, and it was it had log cabin walls with a stone hearth. Oh my! Three goodness. balconies. Now this is making this sound luxurious. I just happened upon this place because it was part of another larger house that had been like walled off, and they rented it out to me. So cool! And it was like so the, the balconies, three balconies, so like one for a bedroom, yeah, 
one for a that connected to one from a living room and then there was a back living room one. It's not this place wasn't big by any means, but it was the most amazing bachelor pad never used as a traditional bachelor pad. <laughs> but I have such romantic feelings for that place because I feel the sea air. And then when I see this movie, I know that like I could go down to the bike path on Long Beach and in Long Beach and just ride my bike five minutes and I'm to that area oh. where they are. Like we I know exactly little, where uh, that is. Candy striped little tents. Though, yeah, though that's funny because that's like a thirties and forties thing. And I'm guarant I know those are nowhere present anywhere anymore, but there's no way even in the eighties those are there. Those are <laughs> placed there for this movie. Even of the way it's shot, it's almost like a silent movie where like just a body's running I between know. two different like uh uh what are those beach tents? Cabanas? Cabanas dressing tents but what what institution is putting these out is that a long beach civic thing or are they source of like a homeowners co-op or a resort i mean i think it's the civic there's a civic committee (laughs) there's someone elected to uh dressing cabanas it's like the person who puts up a a flag and takes it down at the end of the day somebody comes out and puts up the cabanas and then takes it because they're both striped yeah there's yeah, <laughs> legs and cabanas are both stripes, so that's why they have to be handled that way. They handle the flags, the dressing cabanas, and the fruit stripes gum. Oh yeah, in. I remember I was walking down a beach once, and I saw like the cabanas at half mass, and I was like, oh, "What happened? Yeah. The beach died." You know what? Was, I I had a wild a couple of weeks ago. The flag in the middle of the town was at half mast. Are you serious? Yeah, they didn't. Oh, I hope nothing happened. Didn't ask. The mayor, do you know the mayor there? The mayor's a dog, right? Oh, yeah. As I was saying this, it didn't occur to me until as I was saying it, was like, I wonder if it's the dog. <laughs> so Idlewild is insane. They elected a dog as their mayor. Yeah. It's not even honorary mayor. He like, That's my understanding. <laughs> He's the mayor. I don't know if he makes any calls, but I will say this. The owner of the mayor. Well, if there, if the, if there was calls made, we wouldn't be able to hear him. <laughs> it's at but, such a high no, pitch. No, it's the other way around. Oh, they could hear them. Oh, that's why they're a good mayor, because they hear all the calls. But, <laughs> but the mayor's owner, and I know that's a weird thing to say, uh, let's just say is real into the, the dog being the mayor. No. Yeah, real Instagramming about it. Hmm, I'm surprised <laughs> by that notion. It's almost as if that's how it happened in the first place. No, no, I'm going to say the community <laughs> came together and begged this dog's owner to allow them to elect a mayor. The person was like, it's been decades. You've been asking me fine. <laughs> this dog has lived so many decades. That's yeah. There's calendars. Mask. You walk into yeah. any shop, there's a free, <laughs> they can't get them out. Doesn't he the wear a cowboy quickly. hat? People too? are always like, they're free. You can take one yeah, of these. Please, please. Doesn't he wear a cowboy hat? Am I I've seen him or is that the owner? I've I also can't seen remember. him in a necktie, oh, a red and blue well, striped necktie. I mean, respect the office. <laughs> <laughs> Spin City is just a command. What am I talking about? He was in Spin City. He did a cameo that was like, ah, oh, the mayor from Idlewild's <laughs> making a cameo in Spin City. <laughs> We're this doing week. a mayor swap. Oh, God. <laughs> Okay, I cut uh, you off. <laughs> nothing. No, that was, I loved it all. Uh, uh, so it starts with, ooh, I don't think we've done a Columbia movie yet. Is that right? Um, yeah, I think so. And not one with this logo. Mm, yeah. Um, so, a little lore, I don't know if it's true. Coca-Cola owned it by this point. They say they changed the logo so the Columbia ladies 
body was shaped like a Coca-Cola bottle. And if you look at it, kind of does. Really? Yeah. Like subliminal. Now, I probably associate that one the most with like Ghostbusters. Mm. Yeah. When you see it, do you go, ooh, that's a that's a straight up that's a good question. karate kid there for me. Is Columbia now the one that looks like Annette Benning? Yep. That's what I most often think of. And that Coca-Cola did that too. They said we want to make it look like Annette Benning. <laughs> I think it might have changed. I think by that point Sony owned it. So yeah. somebody in Sony really loved Annette Benning. <laughs> uh the second tidbit about Columbia. Please. Look this oh, God, did I you this. know it's as in the District of Columbia? And she is Columbia. She represents the District of Columbia. Why? Did it? Did the studio start there? No, I think they just were trying to give legitimacy to the studio, Whoa. so they named it Columbia after the District of Columbia. Oh. And she is like the same way that like, uh, it's not the same as Uncle Sam represents America, but it's like... Kind of. It's like how or, Mayor of Idlewild represents. Oh my God. If there was an MGM logo that was the mayor of Idlewild the dog instead of the lion then that's something you'd buy at the store that they would yes. have to force I would buy that at the studio <laughs> I'd get all my friends to put money together so we could buy that doggy studio <laughs> or just a sit ubu sit yeah good dog wolf <laughs> I guess that's what the Mary Tyler Moore MTM logo is right the cat, cat. is like a spoof on the MGM yeah. lion yeah yeah so if you did it with a dog, it's even less clever because a kitten is like a lion. I guess. With all due respect to... <laughs> is Mary still with us? I don't think so. Didn't she recently die? Like a couple weeks ago, and that's why the flag was at half-mast in Idlewild? <laughs> yeah, the dog at the mayor was like... Mary died last. Mary Tyler died last. <laughs> we gotta put the flag it up, mass. They're like, I didn't know you know him. We're like, I knew her through her films and her TV work, just like you did. Does that diminish it? <laughs> you don't know her either, but you don't feel great about her death. Did you know Richard fucking Nixon when we put the flag at half mass when no, he died? But I knew checkers, and you, sir, are no checkers. <laughs> Next order of business. You, sir, are no checkers. <laughs> That's like Cary uh, <laughs> Grant's fever dream when he's dying, tripping on acid. He hears that. <laughs> you, sir, are no checkers. <laughs> Mother, I'm coming home. Embrace me, St. Peter. <laughs> um so, uh, love that Columbia logo. <laughs> Gorgeous. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the fake-out movie opening with the moon and the music yeah. and the bloody font. Um, hey, let's talk Franz. Dennis Franz. Yeah, yeah. My God. Now, I never was into the TV shows that, that he was on. The Hill Street Blues. I watched it a little bit. I knew him from that. But really, it's my Dennis Franz comes to me by way of Die Hard 2. That's my biggest Dennis Franz injection I ever get. Yeah. God, that is, uh, that's some pretty pure Franz you get there, too. He's like a bureaucrat. Yeah. Uh, but like a Weasley, like a lowly one. It's not like he's the top, top guy. Yeah. He's just a, he's just a prick. He's a martinet. You know, he's just a son of a bitch. Who's his, like one to one from the first Die Hard, 
Is there a? Uh, it's it's that the principal from Breakfast Club, <laughs> right? Yes. So the principal from Breakfast Club is Paul Gleason Sipowitz. Yes. That's the that's the extrapolation. If I just said that to a, any human being, <laughs> they would know exactly that I'm talking about Die Hard too. There's a lot of things in this episode that people make the instant connection on. Uh, and does he do? Dennis Franz, obviously, that character in Die Hard Two, he realizes he was wrong. He does come around, and but does he do it a total about face where he's like, "God damn it, McLean, I love you," or it's not. Yeah, he rips up his parking ticket at the end. What the hell? It's Christmas. He does. What? What? Who am I? No, it's Christmas. I'm, I'm Dracula. Gary Marshall. <laughs> okay, who as Dracula? <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> Uh, I want to suck your blood, <laughs> police. <laughs> uh, Dennis Franz does. That's why I ask because I knew somewhere in the back of my mind. I love that about face and Die Hard too, and he tears up that ticket. Yeah, it's yeah. so good. I told you about my very favorite, the son-in-law. Yes, yes. <laughs> let's show it's a major grindage, Dad. <laughs> you usually say let's eat. Somewhere there's. Grant Carey is hanging out with Franz Dennis, and they're getting high on PCP and LSD. Uh, yeah, LCD. They're just listening to LCD Sound System. Yeah, which I love. Oh God, they are so good. I love them so much. I haven't ever heard them. What? I love them so much. I haven't ever heard them. I don't even want to spoil it. I don't want to ruin the first time. I do. My wife. Leslie, that I uh, one of the things that endeared me so much when I first met her was I looked at her Twitter or something and she wrote, "Have we all stopped pretending to like Animal Collective?" Uh, <laughs> I don't know that I could tell you a and LCD Sound System or Animal Collective. Those song. two bands of just like they're great, and you listen to them, and you're like, "Uh oh, where am I? I guess I'll just turn up some cheap trick." Oh yeah. Uh, so the um, Franz is is dressed like Brian De Palma. Yes, the, that yeah. vest, that safari vest, classic he's, De Palma. Boy, he's. Uh, do you think he's that filling uniform. those pockets? Like, does does he have light meters, or just cigarettes, or just pocket change? Nudie picks. Yeah, nudie playing cards. You know what he has? He has a nudie flip book. And anytime there's a kid, he'll be like, come over, you want to see something? A kid? Isn't that great? Because back then, you're just like, I'll give this kid a thrill. <laughs> you're like, this man is also, in addition to being a ledge. Yeah. He's... Hey, kid, come here. Come here. Yes, Mr. De Palma? Check this out. <laughs> Pretty good, right? That's why I have these pockets. <laughs> Can I have that? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> this is from France. That's why it flips backwards. What? <laughs> That's why he made Femme Fatale. He went overseas just so he could get his hands on a few boxes. They were going to ship him over some nudie <laughs> flip books. Might as well make a movie while I'm at it. <laughs> oh, I'm there. Yeah. Maybe I should make nudie flip book the movie. No, hold on to that, Brian. Hold on. <laughs> All right. Hey, kid, come here. You want to see a woman smoke a cigarette in a way you never have? <laughs> The last uh, few pages are bent, so you don't <laughs> see the exhaling. Hold on. This book's in two parts. Let me get that right. 
What pocket is it in? I have 18 pockets. Somebody's been messing with my pockets! <laughs> Who reorganized my pockets? Yeah, how many, he's got a real uniform. Not many directors have uniforms. Yeah, I'd still, let's, let's run through this. Okay. De Palma. I'd say Spielberg does, because he the went cap? from the cap to now the scarf. Yes. Um, I love that scarf. Yeah. I love those caps. And, he, and I love the Metallica bassist of it all, where... The Metallica bassist would wear Metallica shirts. Oh, that's nice, yeah. When Spielberg's on the set of yeah. E.T. wearing a Raiders cap, I'm like, that dude rules. And it's often one of those radar, uh, Raiders caps with the flaps on the back, like the French Foreign Legion would wear <laughs> yes. in the old days. Because they were always shooting in the desert, so I think that was somehow to keep the sand. Had to protect the neck from <laughs> sand and heat. Lucas, in a way, has his plaid flannels. That's true. And those, those denims... Yeah. Tucked into those denims. Yeah. Uh, who else do we got? Coppola, I think, has a fedora scarf combo. Yeah. yeah. Not fedora. Uh, uh, sorry. Um, uh, beret? Painter. Beret. Beret. Yeah. I knew that there was a silent T in there somewhere. A beret. He just wears a beret. Yeah. In his and hair. a fedora. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some, some people think fedora goes too far, but I think he's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 who else? Uh, Ron Howard has that uh, funny cap he wears. He, yeah, he does wear one of those. That's yeah. like flesh. It's like a flesh cap that he wears over his... But it's real flesh. Yeah. Oh, wait, he's bald. I'm sorry. I was trying to make a joke that I just thought a bald guy was wearing it. But it did make sense because he wears bald caps. Or He has a full head of hair. He wears caps, bald not caps. bald caps. Yeah. Wouldn't that be funny if somebody came in to a store and was like, give me your best ball cap, and they thought they heard a bald, bald cap? <laughs> the guy comes out of the store and be like, oh, I don't think this is a good ball cap. But you're already bald. I can't even tell you have it on. I guess your hair is a different color on the sides. <laughs> um... <laughs> Any other directors with the uniforms before we get back to the no, film? No, that's a yeah, that question still needed to be answered. Uh, oh, I do think Spielberg has the scarf situation, uh, but I know Aronofsky would get guff sometimes about his scarves. Oh, really? Because yeah. he's too young to pull it off? Is that what it is? Um, I think he's just like an easy target. Mm. Like, who's yeah. going to get mad that you're making fun of Aronofsky? There's right. There's yeah. some. It's yeah. It's safe. Yeah. Fair game. Fair game. Yeah. Hitchcock would always wear suits. Yeah, back, suits. Back then. Would... Sam Raimi always wears a suit. Oh, that's set. right. So who's like the quintessential director you see, like lampooned, wearing jodhpurs and a beret and a like, <laughs> leather long jacket with, with, is that CeCe DeMille? Who is, who's like in the Warner Brothers cartoon that's like, Rory Film! Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, how many directors do you think actually wore the like jumper? Like those are the like pants that. Yeah, they're like ri riding. Like they have the extra like flares on the kind hips, of poofed up, and then they tuck into like calf high boots. What's the work? The uh, what's the ergonomic reason that somebody would wear? Uh, that's those? a great question. Jodhpur sounds Indian, so it probably comes from some. Indian military thing. I'm sure there's a reason, but yeah, what could it possibly does seem be the reason? Yeah. Is it like a show of like 
look how wide my calves are. Don't fuck with me. I know it's not, but <laughs> most 90% of battles aren't fought because the opposing side <laughs> see some, the general's ankles and is like, we got to get out of here. This guy, that guy's got tanks and kanks. <laughs> Tankles and cankles. Oh my gosh, he, and he's now swat me with his underpants? <laughs> his underloos? <laughs> um, Just real quick, what if yes. someone like a current director, well, kind of current, like Mick G showed up to his next movie wearing that old-timey <gasps> director's... I think in order to get into the Director's Guild of America, you have to like <laughs> sign a thing that says you're going to wear that on set. It would be like, especially if you're making a comedy, why not as a director show up in that... Yeah. You know, have some fun. Got directors, have some fun. Well, you know, I got to, um, when you, when you were saying, what do people imagine when you're with a filmmaker? I think, I think right now is sort of the popular conception of what, what is the modern day jumpers is, uh, did I pronounce that right? Jodpers, but I, I'm <laughs> only cause you asked, I don't care. That jumpers is like a cute name for a shark. Wait, you did it again. Now I can't. No, I was saying oh. jumpers. If somebody were to say jumpers, it jumpers. Would be... Hey, jumpers. <laughs> can I write you again? Sure thing. Jumpers for the revenge. <laughs> this time it's personal. It's personable. <laughs> it's personable. <laughs> I'm going to get you. I love you. Come here. I'm not going to eat you. I'm going to. I'm going the Cary Grant of sharks. I hope I don't beat the Grant Cary of sharks. Then we're in real trouble. You're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> I said it before you, Roy Scheider. It might have sounded lawyer of the sea. <laughs> that is the southern lawyer representing Roy Scheider. <laughs> or representing Jaws. Oh my, look at this little great big shark <laughs> sitting here in this witness stand with no water to speak of. <laughs> oh, do you, are you, are you thirsty? Will your honor permit me to give him a little bit of water? Objection, your honor. We're asking for sympathy for the sharky. Sustain. Well, your honor, you cold-hearted snake. You've been telling <laughs> lies. God, the judge a cold-hearted snake. You're out of order. Uh, I was never in order. Attica. Okay. I don't know if you uh, re remember, but an improv, anytime a courtroom scene starts, within seconds, it devolves into nobody knows the right words to use. I still like, don't. Yeah. yeah. I, no, I was going to say, I'm so in the, impressed by how you were able to hold, anytime you do Southern Lawyer. Well, sustained, uh, overruled is your objection ain't going to happen here. But sustained doesn't sound like, it just sounds like, Okay, whatever you just said can stay. It should be yeah, more like it can stay. heard and and approved. Yes, yeah. uh, validated. Yeah, something. yeah. Um, it cannot be a time for a potty double. It can be whatever time you want it to be. Frank. Okay, forty five minutes did pass. Yeah. Okay. We're okay. gonna potty double. Okay. Virtually no time flies by for the listener. There's just a little music sting, and then we're back. Okay. Okay. Because unless there's an ad, but that's fine. All right. All right. Thank you. We'll be right back. With and rest. With and rest. See. Virtually no time went by for you, the listener. And yeah, it's just like that. Yeah. 
we <laughs> peed and had a mini conversation and we're back. We are back and it's good to be back. I, I, um, I'd like to think right now that whatever amount of water and coffee I drank yeah. up until this point is now fully out. I have to imagine, right? Well, this here, is such a gross thing to talk a, about. I'm sorry. Have a giant tub of Gatorade. Oh, please. <laughs> it's filled to the brim, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Thank you. Um, I told you about... Uh, I, I, I drink water uh, sometimes when I'm hungry because I'll just drink water and then I'm full and I'm like, oh, I was just like dehydrated. I wasn't oh. hungry. But um, I never liked water until <laughs> when I went and saw Clear and Present Danger with my mom. Wait a minute. I know that movie fairly well. I'm trying to think about what in that movie made you like water. Is it, is it something in the movie or is it personal? It's nothing in the movie. Okay. I wish it was. I wish Harrison Ford like turned the camera and was like, and kids, drink your water. Or like he's pinned down my machine gun fire and he just drinks water and the guys die. <laughs> it gives him the power he needs. To, yeah. The spinach for this Popeye. Uh, uh, we were sitting, I was with my mom and we were watching uh, Clear Present Danger. I was like, I'm thirsty. Can I have money for like a Coke? She was like, you don't need a Coke all the time. Like, right, just yeah. finished one or something. It's like, just drink water. It was like hot August, summertime. I probably didn't drink a glass of water that whole day. Yeah. I go out, I drink water from the fountain. It was so refreshing. <laughs> I was like, I've been sleeping on water. <laughs> sleeping on water. Yeah, so my parents with their waterbed, but so take a minute and just tell the listeners about water. Like you guys are missing out. I love that. Uh, this podcast gets so into the nitty gritty. <laughs> You'll find out the Moa when I started liking water. <laughs> it was episode. It was the body double episode where we finally learned. Yeah, because somebody be like, behind. what episode did we learn that Paul likes water? Because it just changed the podcast after that. That's when I started. That's the first time I had water. I'd never tried water. I was bathing in syrup. <laughs> I'm not even drinking. Just I'd never seen it. I'd never seen the stuff. I'd never seen it. I live in a dry climate. Uh, <laughs> oh, that person was landlocked is what you're saying. Yeah. So they would never, of course, right, yeah. that makes sense. They lived in the Sahara Desert where it rains once every hundred years, but over time, the weather pattern looks the same. It's just a longer wave. That's got to be bullshit. Where did I see that? What movie does is that in? The wave? No, they talk about like, is it a play? Is it Arcadia? What am I thinking about? Where some, it's just that kind of like bullshit movie science where it's like, you know, they say it never rains in the Sahara Desert, but it does every once in a hundred years. And over time, the waveform is exactly the same as Seattle. You know? Oh my God. Yeah, something like that. Maybe Love that's that true. I don't know. so but. much. Um, so the, uh, 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 okay, so you mentioned the music and I think it's, after the scene where you realize, okay, they're shooting a movie for a vampire movie yeah. and he's got claustrophobia, so he can't shoot the scene. The m- music, I think when the title comes up, the sort of like flourish of, yeah. oh boy, this guy, love him, Pino Dinaggio. Now what you mentioned name. the music. Yeah. Okay. Well, first of all, I did notice the music when it first comes in, but then there's this real like lush flourish and it's right when they cut to Jake Scully 
driving with rear projection with the strangest <gasps> grin on his face. And it's so close up. It is just a moment that I was like, okay, we're in for it for this movie. And I don't even know what we're in for, but this this is what this movie is right here. Yeah, well, that, that flourish is, I know exactly, it's like... Yeah, it's so beautiful and lush. I really liked the music, but it's it's at times really appropriate because it's kind of Hitchcockian, but then at times really at odds with the movie. Or yeah, eighty very can also sounds like classic Hitchcock, but also sounds like very of its yeah. Time. And then there's the telescope theme that's actually called telescope that they use over and over again but i'm gonna play you a selection of this because now this in my mind was way closer in my mind than what i think i'm about to play but i i I fear for our listeners they're all gonna get aroused right now oh i know be careful just don't look through a telescope while listening to this yeah make sure all your telescopes are stored (laughs) you'll be immediately aroused so this is body double by pino grigio What's his name? Pino Danaggio. <laughs> no, I didn't even pick up <laughs> Okay, so just listen to this. <laughs> Okay, and this is... Oh my gosh, that's like uh, just getting to see a lollipop get unwrapped and not being able to taste it. And this is the opening to the Mask theme song. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Now, who stole from whom? I know nobody stole from nobody, but... No, I think uh, uh, clearly Pino Danaggio stole from the mask theme. When did mask come out? I bet it was 83, but maybe it's later. Um, That's similar. Speaking of cartoon TV theme song matching, um, I never watched the X-Men... A cartoon in the early 90s that was on Fox unless oh, I, I did. spent the night at a friend's house who liked it and yeah. we'd watch it. Um, but the X-Men theme and Whitney Houston's I'm Your Baby Tonight is very similar. It goes Oh, I gotta bring that up. If you play the X-Men theme right now Mask it'd be like the Pepsi taste test. You could play it and be like is this Whitney Houston or which one do you prefer? X-Men. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> do you think Wendy Houston is a big X-Men? I fan? know for a fact she is. Mask is 85. <laughs> so. For a fact. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you would you'd bump into Whitney at the comic book shop <laughs> all the time. Um, yeah, I guess should should we hit our notes then? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, the that theme comes up. Oh, oh, and I, I also wrote down yeah the rear projection of it all. Is that on purpose as a style thing? Um, yeah, I think think so. And it, uh, I, you know, uh, Tarantino is a huge De Palma fan. Yeah, and uh, there's like unmistakable rear projection in Pulp Fiction. Remember when yeah. the cab driver? Yeah, and that, and this, and then oh god, here comes the real film school dipshit 
with Jean-Luc Godard, Whoa. his whole thing was kind of doing stuff like that. Uh-huh. And I, what I love about all three of the, uh, I'm not a big, I don't know anything about Godard, but I, like I when somebody sort of like, I'm showing you the artifice right now and you're still engaged with this. Like Joe Dante, I like does that stuff too. Or it's yeah. just like, just because I'm showing you how it's done doesn't mean we can't all have fun here, guys. And like, so the end of Body Double, I think, is like totally that. I love it because it's like showing the magic trick, mm-hmm. how they're doing it, how they swap out the woman. And then it's not like it just ends there. Then it goes into the editing of the sequence and going back and forth. So it's like allowed you to know. Huh. I don't know. I, yeah. There's something. Um, in its own way, it feels like a... I think we maybe sort of talked about it. It's like it can feel like an authentic contract with the audience where you're sort of like, hey, we're watching a movie here. Isn't it funny that he has rear projection? Or or, or if you, dare I say you're you're looking at a telescope behind the curtain of how a movie is made. Ooh, yeah. I've gone too far. No, well, I love how uh, that porno movie that he watches is about the making of a... Hollywood movie, yeah. Even like the porn in this movie is like a uh, like a weird like. Oh God! When we get to that Frankie versus Frankie oh. versus Hollywood. <laughs> oh my gosh! Maybe it felt that way. Frankie goes to Hollywood. That's when the movie crystallized to me, and I was I was riding high on that moment. I was soaring. That might be. It's tough to beat that bloody drill coming through the ceiling, but that. Yeah sequence the Frankie goes to Hollywood might be the most bonkers because at least the drill through the ceiling has its own like logic to it. Yeah. With the Frankie goes to Hollywood thing, you're just like, is this the movie? Is this happening in life? And then also like, uh, it happens immediately after you're going, like the protagonist is going to do porno movies now. Uh, He's acting. He's okay with this in his career. And the moment you're like, Having that sink in, then it goes into this music video. So you're like, let's let's save it because okay, I, I, my God, I don't even Wild. have anything specific to say. I just want to digest it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love the that the mask theme and body double. That's good. <laughs> I don't know how close it is. Um, the um, okay, so yeah, then he comes home with a little rear projection, and then I love. Just in terms, and I'll I'll try not to do this every five minutes just where I admire something and think it's cool. But, like, when he, in all in one shot, like, uh, he goes, he parks his car, he gets out, and he walks up. And then through the window, you can see him getting ready and getting back home. Like, there is no... Um, and like what I like about Brian De Palma movies, he seems like he's always trying to do something in a way that you haven't seen before. Think of how many hacks would just like, you've seen so many movies where somebody drives home, gets out of their car and goes inside and then takes their things off and just getting it and kind of this like one sort of like, I didn't even notice this. Well, the fact that it's invisible too is like really impressive. And then, yeah, then there's that like not killer, killer POV shot where he's going down the hallway. Yeah. Which I feel like is a very LA thing. Yeah. Do you go into apartments and sometimes you're like, this hallway is so long. And I think it's the way like blocks work in Los Angeles that you have to have more back end than front end or, or more back than width. Yeah. I guess that's, 
Yeah, it must be that. Because there's like, alleys often, and so... Yes. Yeah. Because, yeah, that area around Fairfax, mm-hmm. I know, I'd walk into apartments where you just, like, you open the door, and the hallway's long, and then it's just apartments off the... Or the rooms off yeah, the hallway. Yeah, it's like... I think you see those in Chicago, right? What do they call yeah. them? Like, railway apartments? Or, or Oh. They have a name. I forget what they're called. Like... Sean Connery's in The Untouchables. Hey. Hey, hey De Palma. <laughs> What's your deal? Yeah. Hey, don't hang out on that, uh, uh, the fire escape, though. No. It can be quite deadly. There's a nitty in your fire escape. <laughs> Mrs. Matilda, shut up. I'm, I'm, I'm making shotgun stew. <laughs> Did Connery bring you to The Untouchables when you were, or you were just a young man and going to see movies? Um... I don't think I even saw that in the theater, to be honest. Mm. Maybe I did. I might have, actually. Uh, Everything. I think the gangster thing. Definitely Connery, De Niro at that time. I forget what year was that, 87? I think, yeah. Yeah, so I was 14. I think that was one of the movies I got in. What a great Like my mom signed me in or something. I don't remember. Maybe I did see it at home, but I just loved that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Connery didn't hurt. No, that's for sure. Yeah. And then I watched it when he passed away because I kind of, oh. I specifically wanted to watch that one because I kind of was like, I was distanced from Connery and because he hasn't been in the limelight for so long. And right. so when he passed, I it was kind of like, yeah, that's really sad. But I wasn't feeling anything emotional. Mm-hmm. And then I think I subconsciously put that on because I knew Malone dies in that way in such a sad way that I wanted to like have that catharsis and it worked when he dies in that movie I was like oh my god Sean Connery's gone and god, you know that's awesome he's a problematic figure obviously but it wasn't Malone I don't know he just <laughs> wanted justice <laughs> but I just felt it like for the first time that because when Roger Moore died I felt it right away because I felt like I knew the man Roger Moore through his uh, movies. I never felt yeah. like I knew Connery. Or yeah. if I did, it was just a like real stern kind of almost bastard of a man. So well, I didn't have an emotional connection to him. And I'm, I'm not like an expert with Connery, but like I think Untouchables, was that the first time he like died on camera or something like that? Like his character like... So I, I was like, gosh, is that the only time if you wanted to have a catharsis of seeing Sean Connery... There yeah. probably is like two famous movies where he dies or yeah, something. I'm sure, but who but knows? Who uh, cares? yeah, I, that's yeah. interesting. Though, what movie would you watch after somebody dies to be able to get the most like cry? Out I of know. It? I didn't even know I was doing that. Probably Tom Hanks. You do like Forrest Gump, right? Or maybe Bachelor Party or Philadelphia. <laughs> Oh, Philadelphia, yeah. If you yeah. wanted a long, drawn-out, like, I'm going to think about tough. Or you know, Saving Private Ryan. That's true, too. Yeah. Hanks. God, he's the anti-Connery. He's dying left and right on camera. Yeah, no kidding. Who's the main guy who dies all this from Gold, um, uh, 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 Goldeneye? The Sean Bean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's Famous on-screen dyer. Yeah, that's right. You could really, when he dies, you could get your catharsis. Every day of the month. Do you month. think Pierce Brosnan was like jealous that he got he get to make like Im- pain faces for death? <laughs> Pierce Brosnan's like that's the ultimate time to make pain face is and when you're dying. You get to come back with a scars all over your face. That's that's like you get to act pain face and have pain face. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. He gets two pain faces. He doesn't officially die. They should have called you pain face. <laughs> <laughs> the Dick Tracy and James Bond. <laughs> it's pain face. <laughs> Crossover we've all been wanting. Um, 
So then he walks in on her having sex. Barbara Crampton. Oh my gosh. Well, I never knew that. I did not know that was a Barbara. It's it's interesting because, well, now there's a new piece of information about this scene that is interesting because when we, I feel like in many movies, we've seen the scene before the guy walking in yeah. and he's getting cheated on. So I have seen this scene many times before. I don't think I've seen this scene in this way, though. <laughs> Which is, there's you do not see the man she's sleeping with. No, not at all. Not even a, I mean, not even a head. And she doesn't say anything. No. <laughs> and the thing she does get to say is kind of like, well, <laughs> this feels really good, so you got to get out of here. <laughs> okay, you caught me, but hey there's no reaction of like, oh, like jumping off the butt. None. The man off the bed. She seems to be like, I'm staying put, which seems to be like maybe the ultimate cuckolding. I know. Yeah, yeah. Like, not only have I been caught, but I want you to see this. <laughs> Take a seat. I'm going to continue if you don't mind. Oh, when you said, I want you to see this, that's really interesting because, you know, when he plays the character in the porn movie, he's like, I like to watch. And you're yeah. like, okay, he does. Because yeah. when he's doing the telescope thing. Yeah. But this is like a situation where he's not in control of what he's watching. Yeah. Like walk, walking. If you, if you told me that the previous time, before you watched a woman on a telescope, like be naked, the last time you saw a naked woman was your girlfriend like cheating on you. I'd be like, Dude, you gotta go to therapy. This oh. is like weird that you're this <laughs> this guy all around. Now this is our leading character. We haven't even gotten into this. Yeah, but Jake Scully. Jake Scully, not to be confused with Jake Scully from Avatar. <laughs> no. Jake Scully from Body Double. I see you, Jake Scully. No, I see you nightly through a telescope. <laughs> I see you. Oh my gosh, boy! Get me to the ICU. <laughs> I've had a saccharin overdose. So, our hero definitely is a stalker, creep, and only our hero in relation to the other stalker creep, who's also violent. So, up until that man becomes violent, he's. He's. We know he's the bad guy because the way the movies like portraying these two people are presenting them. But they're no. He's no better than the quote Wait, the, unquote, the, the, the bad guy, uh, Greg Henry. Yes. By the way, where last week on Terra Train, I didn't pull that the assistant was Kenny. The very first shot, and you only see him from behind, and you see his nose. I'm like, that's Greg. That's Corley. This is so funny because I was gonna say, this is two weeks where. When I first saw Body Double, one of the main props I had to give it was the mask tricked me. Really? And like it was like, I definitely knew in the same way as Terror Train, where I'm like, I know that's weird. Yeah, yeah. But this movie's weird. Or the bad guys are, are weird. So, or, 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 <laughs> there's a lot of weird looking things going that's on. That's true. So, but, so when his mask got pulled off at the end of Body Double. I remember thinking like, it's so rare where disguises tricked me and I got wow, tricked. Wow, I see. I'm bummed because 
the first shot of this guy really is from like a three quarters reverse. So you only see a, like the back of a cheek and a nose. Uh. But I was like, that nose is prosthetic. So I wasn't like conceptually, I knew it was that guy doing this thing to him. I'm just like, that's somebody in a disguise. Oh, it's got to be the guy that would definitely be cast to be a creep. Like, why is he playing a yeah, good guy? It has to be Sam Bouchard. Yeah. Oh yeah, so gosh. right away. And so I was even saying that right away. I, I didn't want to be this guy, but Amanda. No. No. It's I, important. I mean, when I was watching is... with, with Amanda, because I didn't want to be like, that's Sam. But I did. I couldn't help it. I yeah. was like, that's Sam. But in, in fairness, well, last week she she did it right. She's like, that's Kenny. I was going to say Amanda did it with that's Kenny. <laughs> so it was, yeah, fair. Yeah. But yeah, I. But like I said, it's important to know that it didn't work on you because like. Uh, when his mask got pulled off at the end last time I watched this, I was like, oh, I remember this really tricking me. I bet it's going to trick Gorley. Oh, man. I think it also has something to do with that the prosthetics are really accentuated on the chin, the cheekbones, and the nose. So I felt like I was looking at what Tom Savini was wearing in Creep Show. For the, the, <laughs> the creep guy. Yeah, the creep guy. <laughs> it just had Were a Halloween mask look to it. toss out some comic books out of the back of a moving <laughs> truck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just had a, a Halloween mask look to me that made me, I don't know if it's, you know, like Wigdar adjacent, but something artificial so, yeah. went off in my brain. It's a, uh, you have a good uh, grasp of the uncanny valley. Something like that. Yeah. 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 I don't even, it's so crazy to me that I, when I was watching, I didn't even think it was a guy in a mask. But I think that's in or, a or, indicative of the like, time. Yeah, like yeah. we, we, there's so much artifice in movies now. Why would you be? A, you were what fourteen? You or no, you're in college. No, I saw this. Yeah, two thousand. So I guess then I was you like, known. yeah, should have known. Nineteen. No. When I saw it. Um, <laughs> have been wiser. Well, they say the human brain doesn't discover Wigdar and Maskdar <laughs> till around twenty-five. So you're, you know. You're well, that's of- why you, it's the same age, roughly, when you can rent a car. That's right. Yeah. Because <laughs> to be a, the best driver you can be, you need to know if the car coming at you is driven by somebody with a wig. Yeah, or if the car itself is wearing a mask or, or a car bra. bras. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! If you saw a car named like, um, uh, Darlene, <laughs> she has a car bra and like a big curly blonde wig. <laughs> Is that a wig on that car? It's now, Kit's Scum, girlfriend. Actually, that that car, that's its real hair. <laughs> it looks like a wig, I understand, but look, look trust, at the hairline. There's no mesh. Gourley. Yeah, there's no he mesh. He does car wig dart. He does his car uh, wigs. Now, there is a point where Jake Scully is reading Dramalogue. Did you ever get... Now, you, you would have been in Iowa at the time. I don't think Dramalogue was here by the time you got out, but that was like the big actor's newspaper. Oh, where you would go to find out yeah. where to go audition? I think it merged with and became Backstage West, but um, that was yeah. everything was drama lock. Oh my, well, I love this scene. Like, I wrote it down. I love the part where he circles the thing. And like, then underlines interview. <laughs> In case I didn't understand that circle, I needed literally somebody <laughs> underlining. Uh, but the... Uh, that's a convention that is totally gone is yeah. the like circling. Like I loved when I was a kid, I would I watch know. movies and people are circling things and scratching them out when they're going to job interviews and trying to, look it at makes the me want to keep a dry erase marker for my computer screen. When I see something on a like, <laughs> article, circle it. 
<laughs> That's like a, a blonde joke or something. <laughs> How do you know a blonde's been working? She circled the screen like it was a one ad. With permanent marker. <laughs> Uh, so did you, it was called drama log? Yeah. And like, that's where you would like, if you, especially if you didn't have an agent, there was like casting calls in the back and there were always like open calls and or student films, non-union, things like that. And so you, you'd check that out. Did you ever uh, audition I don't for think something? Other? So, cause by the time I started acting, uh, I was like, by the time I got out of grad school to like go venture in to do some acting I had an agent and so I didn't need to but doesn't mean I was booking anything I probably would have had more luck using drama log <laughs> <laughs> was it spelled L-O-G-U-E like monologue yeah I think it's drama hyphen L-O-G-U-E I could be wrong mm. but yeah yeah I never even got I don't think I ever cracked open a backstage west yeah I don't think I looking did looking for uh, I might have when we were trying to like book venues for like comedy shows uh, but I don't think I ever used it for to find out about an audition yeah. I love the like 80s working actor I stuff do too and I have to say I think this is the best I've ever seen an acting class oh. portrayed in a movie right on I when we I was watching this I was like I'm stoked to ask Gorley about his thoughts on I think this nails the like weird acting class workshop it does yeah. and I've like I've had experiences just like that that are just as bullshit like you can't hyperbolize how bullshit those kind of acting mm. classes were especially in the 80s and just like that that teacher was not a caricature he was an no. authentic portrayal and it is gross it's interesting because yeah they have to bring their own like drama actorness to the teaching yeah. so that's always getting a little bit with acting classes I've taken it always gets a little bit in the way of trying to figure out what's the yeah. real thing here because they have their own kind of like theatrical trappings yeah. uh yeah did you have an experience like watching somebody remember how they were played sardines with their also a, a De Palma <laughs> biographical element true story from his life he was playing sardines and he got stuck, and he wanted to call out for his brothers, but his brother. But he thought his brother would make fun of him if oh he said he got God. stuck somewhere. Oh wow! Uh, so wow. Uh, he's digging in deep. Yeah. I don't know if De Palma ever took an acting class, but you know he, he discovered Robert De Niro, cast Robert De Niro in his first role, Jill yeah. Clayburg in her first role. That's right. Um, first film roles for uh, John Travolta. Um, like he makes movie stars. He really does. And he must, he must have some experience with acting because this is, it is right on. It's yeah. right on in the worst, like I'd say most acting classes, it's like 70% bullshit, but they're not all bad. And there's some people that are just really good at teaching technical aspects of acting. But a lot of this kind of bullshit teacher guru shit and that like Ugh. bullshit, bullshit, more, more yeah. dig, you know, like yeah. there's What's some merit to the, concept of that but it's always for the teacher's e ego and like they get it so right in this it made me uncomfortable in a way yeah right the like that's sort of like that they need to be lords kind of over that little yeah. like that's a I'm sure true in every single <laughs> acting and and that's the thing that like did I ever tell you this I got like mixed up in my mind about it where I was sitting in an acting class in college and I was like, I feel the rest of the class 
sucking up in how they're responding to what the teacher's saying. And I remember thinking, fuck, if I don't do this, it's going to seem like I'm not into the class. I am into the class. It becomes a weird religious cult-like. And so the teacher noticed I was like withdrawing. And I was probably going the other way, Mm -hmm. which is I was sensing this kind of like, and it's the same thing. It's probably having some kind of weird weird churchy reactions a little bit, nothing against religion, just like being like, when I feel kind of a group all start like agreeing to something, I get a little nervous. It makes me a little nervous. Big time. I have a, yeah, I have a real aversion to it. Yeah. So my aversion was leading me to not just like be neutral. It's probably making me withdraw and not like be as responsive as I used to be. And the teacher asked me once after class, he was like, but to his credit, like, I love him for this. He said, what's going on? You're not like talking in class. And I said, I see the way other people behave and it seems like sucking up and I don't want to be a suck up. And I don't know, like I just was honest in the way I was with you. And he went, don't worry about what other people are doing in class. They're doing their own thing. Just focus. Which he didn't really answer. Which was sort of like, <laughs> yeah. you can still suck up to me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's a weird thing because I taught acting in grad school and then still teach online but I don't teach acting but I taught acting for years at community colleges oh so you have to fight this I do and I find myself going so far in the other direction that that in itself becomes problematic because even when you're trying to not be like a guru or a thought leader there's a persona that goes along with that and you find you get adherence regardless of what you're saying. Yeah. It's really uncomfortable and you can, I like there are times when I didn't even realize it was happening and you just start to see whether it's like portion of the class, get a look in their eye or something. And it's nothing to do with what I'm doing. It's just the teacher student relationship. And it is odd. It got to the point where I just didn't want to teach anymore. Cause I also teaching up to like, five years ago and the climate was starting to change and there was this time where I had this problematic student I didn't have a problematic relationship with him but he had a problematic relationship with another student and Mm -hmm. he was a a little um, he seemed a little bit unstable Mm -hmm. and I was teaching in this class that had one door in and out with no windows and it was Mm -hmm. the first time ever in my teaching career where I thought all it takes is someone to walk in here and do something. And it was weird. And I was like, I don't know if this is age, but it's the first time I ever felt fear of a potential situation. Mm. And it's not why I quit, because I was getting busy doing other things. But there was a time when I went, I don't think I want to do this. Oh, anymore. yeah. And then have weird. to like, it be was really weird. facing this vibe. And then the mystery of if you'll face that vibe again. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I know teachers and I, I've talked to them and... I've heard, I think, before somebody be kind of like, oh, you can't, it's like applying for a job in a way where uh, modesty doesn't help you. You kind of have to walk in there like you're the shit (laughs) because the students need you to be thinking you're the, like, but then, yeah, if they get that look in your eye of like, yes, yes, uh, leader, supreme leader, tell me what to do. That's weird. It's a catch-22 because I guarantee you, any teacher worth their salt as a teacher is going to, to every day with a huge case of imposter syndrome. I ever did every day. I'd go in 
and I even knew like certain days, especially of like, I know this subject or we're doing an exercise today that I love, but I still was going wow. and going like, why would they think I would be the person that needs to tell them this, you know? Yeah. 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 And, uh, man, the imposter syndrome of, right. That's has to be tough. Cause you gotta be an expert on a lot of stuff. And if I was teaching chemistry, I would be like, uh, boy. Yeah, exactly. But at least that's like hard, cold facts. Well, with Oh, that's acting, true. Yeah. I don't know why I picked chemistry because I actually know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Improv and stuff was fine. But when it actually got to acting, I had huge imposter syndrome because I am an imposter because I don't fully believe in acting as a teachable thing. It's just kind of, you can kind of do it or not. So you can teach experiences and exercises, but I was really uncomfortable if some student would go like, what's the theory here? And I kind of want like a Meisner or a Stanislavski thing. And I can teach the history of that, but it felt weird. It did feel like teaching religion in a way. And I just made me so uncomfortable. Well, just right now when you were sort of saying like the, like the theory feeling of it, I felt a lot like, yeah, in acting classes, but also some creative classes where I felt like, um, like, I mean, I remember when I was a kid going to Catholic school, I was like vexed by the idea of like, they would go like, ask God or Jesus for help and you'll hear him. And I knew like, you can't literally hear him. Mm -hmm. And I was like, so what do you mean? Like in your heart, you'll know. And I would pray and I'd be like, I'm not, I'm not getting this. <laughs> what are they talking about? Are other people getting it? I'm not. And then it's the same sometimes in acting classes where it would be like the person would reach, they learned so much of the theory that they went beyond it. And now they're in this nirvana uh, state of they're not even thinking about it. they're completely. And I'm like, I don't think you really are. The, are, are you? No, Can and you they're be? not. But the crazy thing is that they are because they believe they are. So it it's probably strangely working for them where like you and I, like you said with your hypnotist, you can't be yeah. hypnotized unless you want to be hypnotized. You can't do method acting unless you want to do method acting. So yeah. it's like if you can see behind the curtain from the beginning, it probably never will work for you. Yeah, and I do think like... Acting is a very tough job because it's one of the few that I think when somebody is in the moment has to be holding two <laughs> conflicting impulses in their mind, which is yeah. you have to be completely in the moment and present and completely monitoring yourself from outside. Yeah. yeah and knowing like, how is this coming off across screen? Because if my face is blocked by a lamp, yeah. it, none of this matters. Yeah. And yeah, being in the moment and having the craft, that's a very few jobs I think are like, I don't mean to like put no, acting on a pedestal. It's just like it's a crazy thing. Same thing with it's the hardest job for a job that is so tri tri trivial. Like it, there's, it's right. full of contradictions. It really is. <laughs> the level of, of skill it takes to be an actor does not match really what an actor is. It should be like that's what a surgeon does or a yeah. teacher really yeah the teacher's so much more important because meanwhile yeah you could just look out a window at a park and see a five-year-old running around and pretending yeah. you're like uh okay i guess that's, it's that gee that's that's what it always boiled down to like i could never this is it's an old like uh it's, it's a platitude in acting but like you try to get back to pretending like kids did because yeah. you didn't pretend as a kid you were 
But that is the simplest way to boil down acting. And I found like anytime I tried to lecture on acting, I would just go, ah, fuck it. It's just, you just be a kid, you know, as stupid as that sounds. (laughs) No, that's cool. Yeah. Well, it sort of, in a way, dovetails too, and we'll get to her. And it's a true crime that this movie, she's not in it from beginning to end, is Melanie Griffin. I think she's so great in this. Yeah. And her acting is just, I think it's like, that listen something wild are like my two favorite performances of her because I think she's like uh, I mean she is childlike in the way that she kind of has like some sort of quality to her that feels like charmingly yeah. naive or something and like her that. voice is in high a, yeah. it's kind of childlike yeah um, so in that way she explicitly seems to like uh, harness that but like I also like what I'm sort of amazed by, and I was last time I watched it, but it, it, when I've watched this before, is that and maybe because it stands in contrast to all the acting before. I love uh, Greg Henry in this, but like the, she just seems so like effortless and is making thing every seems so n- natural. And maybe with a movie that has so many like um, weird um, a plot. Um, Contrivances. Yeah, yeah, contrivances and stuff to just see somebody be kind of like yeah. spontaneous feels really cool. But yeah. oh man, I, I love her in this. I'm with you. I I didn't even realize. You are opening so many windows to this movie for me because she is so effortless in this movie where Jake Scully and Sam are both kind of, they're going for it, but not in a like, scene-chewing way. They're just more in line with what feels like De Palma's doing yeah. where Melanie Griffith's kind of rising above everything in a way. That's and true. just kind of streamlining it. Yeah, with everybody else, it's sort of like a an embracing of the genre the sense that they're staying at the level where Melanie Griffith, yeah, you could watch this and be like, oh, that person had their eyes on the prize that they wanted to be in Working Girl. In yeah, it kind of reminds me of like Ewan McGregor for the most part in the prequels where he kind of, you can kind of feel he goes in and on the first day is like, wait, what are we, what are we doing here? Oh, no. <laughs> and it's like, okay, I can't see anything in front of me as far as scenery goes or <gasps> enemies, so I have to make it up in my own mind. And, like, you know, his performance is what it is in that first movie especially, but at some point he takes control of his own destiny uh. and starts imagining things and can act a character where the rest of the actors, like, no blame given I think are like going I don't know what I'm looking at right now you know gosh and then like yeah nobody's George Lucas isn't pulling Liam Neeson aside to be like George has floppy ears (laughs) no and Liam Neeson doesn't care anyway he's just like I'm gonna say my lines and I think he's like, I'm going to do the most blank slate thing possible and the audience can fill in the blanks after the director's filled in the blanks of everything else I'm supposed to know. Yeah. And where Hayden Christensen's obviously lost, you know? Yeah. yeah. Do you see a, a, a change in Ewan McGregor's performance over the three? I Does he become... do, yeah. I feel like he's mastered it by the third one. He's so pretty... it's not like a thing where he's getting more checked out. No, I think he's... I think he's also a veteran of the, that series yeah. by the third one, and so he's really the leader. Him but, and um, what's his butt, uh, uh, Palpatine. Yeah, he's really good. He's really good, and you can see that Ian McDermott has years of classical training right. to get him through that. And you and McGregor, I think, had enough of that, and also is a really good actor, and probably just made the choice. I need. I need to come up with something on my own because I'm not getting it here. Where Hayden Christensen, I think, and I would have been the same way, never asked himself that question. It was probably just told, 
oh, don't worry, there's a robot here. And so he's just seeing basically, you know, Gort from the day the earth stood still in his mind. I mean, I... I not Gort. What's to, the robot? You, what? Is the robot Gort or the guy is Gort? Oh, I don't know. I forget. Uh, I mean, like, speaking of hating Christensen, you know, like, when we were talking about the acting theory of it all, I did think, like, sort of, like, how much does that really have to be in your head, though, if you just have a really good symmetrical face? Uh, and a decent script. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. yeah. I think you're right. And it's funny that you were saying that, that you had the experience in acting class where you kind of couldn't get into it. When I was watching this movie and Greg is, like, looking at the bullshit of this teacher, well, I didn't realize at first he's really honing in on his victim. Right. But it, it comes across like he's like, this class is bullshit. And I was so identifying with him because that's <laughs> was, how I was. I was a little, I was a little recalcitrant in He was in the college. Justin Long in Drag Me to Hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's nice to see. Well, it turns out he's a real bad guy, but. <laughs> uh, yeah, and also his name is Greg and then Craig Wasson. Do you think that was a confusing set with the Greg and Craigs of it all? Oh, no kidding. Look out. Name double. Uh, yeah, the um, the sort of actorly of it all, when you were talking about their kind of man's man yeah. scenes, I wrote down one of my, uh, I have sort of like three different pieces of dialogue that I really like in this movie, and this is one of them. When uh, Craig Wasson said he walked in on his uh, girlfriend having sex and she was glowing. Yeah. Okay, this dialogue <laughs> is just so good. Her face was glowing? How do you do that? <laughs> I got 16 years of good humping and never did I get a glimmer, let alone a fucking glow. Glowing? <laughs> wait, wait. And say then they share a laugh. Say that again, please. <laughs> Her face was glowing? How do you do that? I got 16 years of good humping and never did I get a glimmer, let alone a fucking glow. <gasps> glowing? M-m-m-mask. <laughs> Um, All right, yeah, some work. In fact, I'll give it to you again. You got some more quotes? No, 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 no. no. (laughs) Sorry. You were like the DJ who dropped (laughs) the sample, and I didn't have no raps. So the... um, the, Oh, okay, so your notes, I'm at the chemosphere. Is that what it's called? The chemosphere, the... The house on top of the... Is that a real house? Yeah. Really? Uh, I've been there. Oh, wait. Is this one where you went with Mary? No. This one I went to when I, like, maybe the second year I was living in L.A. It's just off Mulholland. You just drive up the hill. The way it's shot, it looks like a model. And then, obviously, the interior is a set, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. God, that... Well, do you want to... Should we talk about that? The interior? Let's go. Hooli Bowl. Hooli Bowl is right. Hooli Bowl. Have you... Who's playing in the Hooli Bowl this year? Hey, my ragers. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So you take a funicular to get up to this house? Yes. Yeah, you take this little, like, um, thing. And I went probably, like, at 1 a.m. with some friends. and It's a private residence? It's a private residence. Nobody was staying in it at the time. Because I think it was renting out. 
they were running out and people threw so many parties it got a little wrecked. I'll bet. But now it's owned by um who's the guy whose name is on all the big coffee table books? Tashin. Oh, uh yeah. Tashin? Yeah. He owns it. But then there's a Tashin book with that on the cover, so it's like, hey, putting your own houses on your own books, weirdo. But imagine his coffee table has that book. <laughs> Outside the Yeah. It's a hall of books. And if you fall into it, it's like the that aha video. Oh, God, I wish. How great would that be? <laughs> anyway, so we drove up there, and it was me and a few friends, and I was the scaredy cat, because uh, everybody else got out of the car, and I didn't want to, for two fears. One, that like neighbors or police would come by, and we'd get in trouble, and if I was in the car, I, I wouldn't get in as much trouble. But also... Sometimes I just think, like, well, a murder happened here in a movie. I bet somebody's around here wanting to recreate the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's so silly. It's not, but then I watched, I was sitting in a car. I watched my friends get on the, what's the thing called? Funicular? The vehicular. Funicular. Jumpers. The, they got on the jumpers <laughs> and they started it up and it started going up. And they got scared, and they leapt off it, and then ran back to the car, and we drove away. I bet that happens all the time, because I wonder if there's some signal up there, like the funicular has started, so like a chime rings, because you know someone's coming. Oh, yeah. I don't know. No, well, we ran, they ran, not because anybody in there, they just got scared. Oh, okay, right. Because it started moving, or it became too real. I was sure that was a model, because I didn't read up on this movie at all, and I was just, like, ready to put that in with the Van Damme houses, like, great fictional movie houses, you know? Yeah, no, I think it, it appears in the Charlie's Angels movie. Oh, that's right, yeah. And then, um, um, in The Simpsons, uh, oh my gosh, why am I blanking on this day? Hi, Troy McClure. Troy McClure. They show his house and it's that. Oh, how funny. Yeah. Wow. Um, But no, it's real. We can go there. We should. We should do a little offsite like we did for the Myers house. We visit the... Or for the... Yeah, you're right. But there was no... um, I bet up there on Mulholland Drive, there's no Mama's Family house. (laughs) Not like the Myers house. Mama Cass family, probably. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Mama's family. If somebody should have... Brought back Mama's family, but it was about Mama Cass's like <laughs> extended family at her house in Laurel Canyon. All the scary things that have gone with John Phillips and his family. <laughs> oh, yeah, so it's, it's a, a horror. Real dark horror, like Chainsaw Massacre too. <laughs> oh, yeah, that guy seems like a real creep. He certified creep. Yeah, yeah. and dead. Hopefully, hell. Even odds, for sure, almost. So, does this house have a name like Saucer House or? Uh, I, I should have looked it up. Is it the Chemosphere? Oh yeah, you gave it. That I name. said That's that, right. but I when I said it, I was like, that seems like I made that up. Hmm. Let me see, because what would the, what would that mean? Chemosphere. Yep, the Chemosphere is a modernist, modernist house in Los Angeles, California, designed by John Lautner. Oh yeah. In 1960. Okay. Real famous architect. Uh, Do you know John Lautner? I know the name, and I know that as I look him up, whatever else he designed, I'm going to know. Oh, right on. Um, The building, which the Encyclopedia Britannica once called the most modern home built in the world, 
is admired both for the ingenuity of its solution to the problem of the site and for its unique octagonal octagonal design. Okay. Here's where I know John Lautner, because he designed the Elrod House, which is in Coachella Valley, and I believe was in Diamonds Are Forever. Oh! Cool. Yeah. Wait, did he do the house, the Lebowski house? The uh, could be. Where, um, he also, yeah. The pornographer wait, lives? He did the Garcia house. Is that also the house in Lethal Weapon 2, or am <gasps> I making that up? Oh, the one where they... They pull it off at stilts. Yeah. Um, gosh. <laughs> Mel Gibson was like, stilts shouldn't be used for houses. They should be used for crucifixes. <laughs> We're going to have to work it into the movie. He brought so, okay. the house down. Roll. Mel Gibson wouldn't agree to do Lethal Weapon 2 unless <laughs> they use those for crucifixes. Uh, so are we at the stalking sequence? Uh. Yes, I think so, because, let's see, um, oh, oh, I wrote down that that, that acting says, exercise was very schmacter. Have you ever heard that term? Yeah, yeah. It's really helpful yeah, sometimes. Yeah, it really it's Real schmacterly. Yeah. Uh, the, um, I think we are there, because, oh, oh, they're inside, they look at it, um, oh, the inside I like because it has this like rectangular. I've never noticed it until now. Uh, like a fish tank, yeah, a glowing fish tank. Yeah, it reminded me of the bad guys. Um, not the computer headquarters, but they're like fan- swanky office in Superman Three. Oh, that's funny because the woman that that the Gloria buys underwear from reminds me of Ursa from Superman Two, the woman of the tri- trilogy. Do you know who that is? No, that actress. She had a big summer that year. Or a big year. Is it Zool? Zool. Oh my God. I just, the minute you said that, I'm like, I bet that's Zool. Wow. (laughs) Is that cool? Real Columbia contract actress. I know. Wow. I was thinking that too. Like, wow, Columbia Pictures is pretty. (laughs) I'm the last actor to ever be on a, you know, a star contract system. I have a five picture deal. So far, I've played Zool, an underwear lady. They originally hired her to be the Columbia District of Columbia woman. But I wasn't from there. I'm from Washington State, and I got me in the door, but it didn't get me the job. But Zool has a sort of Ursula or a, 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 right, Superman 2 vibe. Um, wow, God, you learn something new every day. The, I learned a lot today, but that's the big one. <laughs> the um, Oh, I like, uh, it took me a while. Like I said, I've seen this probably movie like 25 times. I needed to read somebody's film review where they pointed out this joke. So clearly as he's getting brought up in this house and stuff, and if you watch the movie again, He's so getting set up. Like, yeah. he's getting set up for something. When he goes over to the bar, after you see the whole thing, it's kind of like the camera's drifting away. He says to Sam Richard, he goes, what a setup. Wow. But he means it as like the That's apartment, brilliant. but yeah. it does, I think, supposed to have a double meaning, body double meaning. <laughs> um, will you explain to me what possible um, erotic flavor, uh, ambiance... Could you get from a revolving bed? I understand a vibrating bed. 
But what good is a is a revolving? Yeah, the bed? only sensation it's going to give you is nausea. Yeah, it's the worst thing you want to feel when you're tired. Uh, yeah, because um, sex a lot of times is a a parallel movement. Yeah. So to be having that going against a circular one, oh boy. Uh, I was going to say, is the worst thing you want to feel when you tie one on, but I realize that's a drinking <laughs> I want it to be used for the other. <laughs> I guess in some some subcultures it is. Did you hear her line when she turned it on later? Yeah. She goes, I used one of these in Star Wars? Yes, and because I was immediately going, how does she automatically know how to turn that on? And then she justified it. I yeah. wondered if it was an ADR, because I couldn't see her lips, so I wondered if somebody was like, how Could does she been. know to turn that on? And we're like, we'll get a Star Wars. Yeah. Right? Which, the diploma, you know he helped write the opening yeah. crawl in yeah. Star Wars. Yeah. This is kind of a fun, funny dig I know, there. and they shared uh, auditions with Carrie in Star Wars. Right! Yeah. With, yes! So even more so... In hardcore, that movie, uh, the Paul Schrader movie, yeah, he stays in a hotel, a CD hotel that across the street has a big Star Wars matinee oh, or like marquee. Wow. And I'm like, Paul Schrader hates Star Wars or something. Yeah. But then he goes to a strip club, and there's two strippers who are having like a sexy lightsaber fight while oh, like wow. disco Star Wars theme is playing. Oh my god! I don't know if it's like people having a good fun at their at their buddy's movie, or if they're like, I <laughs> hate. Yeah, I know you can. Yeah, with I Palma, you don't know. Ja- he had cast Jabba in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Double was like, I saw Jabba. Uh, the actor who played Jabba. <laughs> well, our close to that. Now, someone associated with Jabba will be in one of the movies we're watching this season, and I'll leave it at that. Oh, do you know? Is it a a Twinks? What's his name? A Twilex? <laughs> it is a Twinks. Twilex. Yeah. Twilex. Yeah. American Werewolf in London. That's right. That's right. And I've been so excited about that (laughs) moment. So we'll talk more about it when it comes up. And that happened because I'm like, what else was he in addition to the uh, Twilex? What was his character's name again? Bib Fortuna. Bib Fortuna, duh. I was like, Bib Fortuna was an American werewolf in London? Um, He's a British Twi'lek in Tatooine. Now we're almost at the we could talk about the stalkering part. Yeah. But um just I I do think the the, the one of the main parts of this movie is probably the um, that people would find funny is the the strip tease, the initial telescope. Yeah. yeah. Um it is so eighties. Like the music and mm-hmm. her hair yeah. and her big underpants. Yeah. But also like <laughs> That the, what she's stripping with and like masturbating with is like big hairbrushes and valuables like jewels. It's so eighties. <laughs> Do you know those big hairbrushes? Yes, I know. With the big thick back. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Why was that the height of like look at a, like an ivory phone next to the bathtub? <laughs> it sh- she should have also had just anything that was big at the time, like a water pick and a briefcase cell phone and just a briefcase. <laughs> Oh my god, if there's sexy, luxurious versions of like all the gross stuff people have in their bathrooms, like, ooh, a diamond encrusted water pick. <laughs> oh god. And yet, at risk of sounding uh, gross, this like informed, this kind of like movie sexuality was my sexual education when I was a kid. So, as weird as it is, 
there's like a, I don't want to call it like a familiarity, but there's like, it's almost quaint now. Well, how about this man? It's like friendly in a way to, to me is as weird as that sounds. Cause there's a lot of sexism in this movie for sure. But yeah. It almost has like a quaint feeling. It's crazy. Oh, yeah, the same way that like Porky's does. It just like yeah. the, it seems so and innocent I'm not, sometimes. I'm not like justifying that. I'm just stating no. it as a fact. That's just how it feels, right or wrong. It's weird. Well, your generation specifically, because I'm just like a few years behind you, but you specifically got. In the entire long history of the universe and human civilization, you are the very first in an age group to see nudity and live action sex and nudity on film for you to lay. That is a huge jump and that's that's mass distributed uh, across that video, film and video. Right, because it's really the '70s when it starts happening. Yeah, mainstream, and then, and then really this intertwining that this movie seems to be about of like sex and violence yeah. is such a crazy combination for it to be going down in. You were born in '74, '73. If you had seen this when you were 11, think about an 11 year old watching this. this well, that's is... what Halloween was to me because it was sex and violence as well. Right. You know? Yeah, and so they are. I'm not saying 1984 was the first time any there was this type of level of violence or nudity. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, this was the point where it's, like, on HBO and video. Yes. You can easily get your hands yeah. on this if you are a young kid and want to yeah. watch it. Yeah. And, but you haven't ever seen real blood or ever seen nudity no. in real life. <laughs> no, because you're too young to have experienced any of those things, hopefully, you know? Right. And if you've seen blood, it's because you cut your finger. And, hey, I got nothing... Because this, like, I no. think that's what the movies are partly for. Is you get to that's what I'm saying. There's a there is like a quaintness to it. It's weird because you look back and I I can't describe. I can't understand. I think you know what I'm talking about. No, yeah, I think probably because it's also like in the framework of like a kind of like a Hitchcock studio movie too. There's like a lot of weight, and it's quaint because it quaints just like the definition of like it's sort of. A, Exclusive, and there's not many things like it. Even in the era of film, nowadays, there's nothing really going on like this. Because um, pornography's for internet. Yeah. Nudity's for internet. You don't need to yeah. go to a movie to see this now. And then... It's like game... Violence of- has kind of been toned down, or it's in... Wa- Walking Dead every week, and yeah. so it doesn't mean it's anything cartoony. in movies. And Game of Thrones was kind of the last like gratuitous nudity thing because HBO, you know, there's that that story that it's kind of like you've got to have a certain amount of boobs and a certain amount of scenes and stuff. And, <laughs> but it it is really interesting when you look at this movie and how much how much nudity there is from women, and there's a really justified scene for. Craig Wasson's character to be seen nude in this pornography scene. Oh. You don't even see a bare shoulder on the guy. You know? Man, you're right. It is crazy that yeah. he's like fully dressed, so that just means his penis is out like through his fly hole and yeah. he's having sex with her. And that's it. Well, because he's a poindexter in the Yeah, yeah, in, yeah. But with that's an just Argyle like, sweater. Yeah. And that's the part that's not quaint, because you're like, God, look how one sided it is. You yeah. Know? But 
and it's the fascinating. Yeah, and definitely like if you're trying to make a thriller in the mid '80s to provoke people, like from minute one, this movie is like problematic. <laughs> I know. Yeah, if you're trying to provoke people in the mid '80s, imagine what your film is doing in 2021. Right. That's the best summation of this. I mean, when Leslie, my wife, first watched this and it faded out on that shot of like the blood covered boob, she was like, This, that was awesome. Like, she was like on board about like, I know what this movie's doing, such to, to provoke such a response. Um, but uh, uh, to each his own. Yep. Somebody didn't like. Now, the. This movie's pretty cozy I, like you said because um well he's wholesome i like when he's looking through the telescope he like looks away and like looks over his shoulder to be like you catching this man there is a strange sympathy to craig wasson yes. and i don't know what it is because he's just unlikely to it doesn't help that he looks like bill maher that should go against especially like, when he slicks his hair back and ta- starts taking like, like a sleeve back, like a back. <laughs> i have an idea because guess what we might go for a record pee breaks on this episode. Yeah, is this happening? Let's do this, but when we come back, can we each pitch who who we would recast Ooh. instead? Not saying you need to, but if if you could. Yeah, in twenty twenty one. So you would do it with a current actor or I'm thinking an actor at the time. Oh, better. Much better. Okay. Much better. We can no go either way. To see Timothy Chalamet in this shit. <laughs> That's who it'd be though. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. With and With and okay, we're back. Um, so who's your guy? Who's your actor? I'm still thinking, other than Bill Maher. Now, uh, Bill Maher, could, fresh off the success of DC Cab. <laughs> that's right. I'm trying to think of who I love in this. Do you have someone in mind? I do. Okay, go go ahead. Uh, I think this part would be really good for a Jeff Bridges. Oh, that beats it. Yeah. I all I could think of was Bill Pullman, but I think Jeff Bridges oh, Bill is Pullman's way better. Good too. Way better. That's uh, it's almost perfect cuz what did he do? he did a film like a sex thriller. Yes, uh 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 He's not against in all Agents. odds or something. And yeah. then he's in this really good conspiracy movie called Winter Kills. Oh, right. And I think he does like a good job and Lebowski obviously too. He's like when he has to be somebody who's like uncovering a conspiracy that's against him. I think he's like really good because I don't know if you think he's sm- it's not that he's like smart he seems like he's intelligent. It's more like if he's the butt of somebody's conspiracy, you don't resent him for it. Like I feel yeah. like Craig Wasson's a little bit like it's like God, this worm, figure it out, dude, or yeah. something like. But with Jeff Bridges, you'd be like, God, this hunky guy who's playing an actor, and he's an actor. I buy all this. Yeah, why is it that with Craig Watson, when he's following Gloria around, I'm put off by it? And mm. it's not necessarily like you're not supposed to be, but like if you're the right actor, and they're like, why, why when James Stewart does it in. In Vertigo. Right. I mean, there's a little, like, through the lens of 2021, you're like, oh, this is inappropriate. But it's, <laughs> is it because it's so old, it seems harmless, but... But you're right. If it was, that sequence would hit different if it was Jeff Bridges. It would. Or, or 
Dennis Quaid or like because I, I feel like Jeff Bridges could follow her around and you actually might believe in a way he's protecting her more than he's lusting yes, after exactly Maybe because he looks like a golden retriever or something. <laughs> like I, I would think like, oh, he's doing this because he's uh it, it's not for um um lurid interests. Yeah. Yeah. With with this version as it is, especially on the heels of his girlfriend cheating on him, he seems desperate and <laughs> entitled and <Right>. incelish. <laughs> yeah. And when he's staring through the window, and I know this is the point, like he's watching, first of all. And Amanda said this, I take this on, on her authority, like, how are women trying on underwear in the raw like that? That's my understanding. You do not do that. And that, how are these dressing rooms set up to be where the window is? And it's incredible. Also, yeah. Also, if you know the the trick is that, like, it's Melanie Griffith who's doing it, not Gloria Ravel. Where's Gloria Ravel during all of these 10 p.m. strip teases? She's just out of the house? Wait, I'm talking about when she's in the store. Oh, when he's watching her through the window. Well, I like that shot a lot because Zool is on the left, yeah, and she's looking in a movie that like is an ongoing uh, dialogue of you are the spectator, yeah. you're watching what he's watching. That shot is you're looking at this shot. You have two choices: you can look at the right and watch the actress in the dressing room take off her underwear. Or you can look to the left and see that the woman behind the counter is looking at you, perv, looking yeah. at the woman in the thing. It's like, uh, oh, God. And if the first time you were watching Body Double, you just were like, I'm going to watch this woman change her underwear in the dressing room. You wouldn't have never noticed that the woman's in that same shot is looking at you. That's That was me. <laughs> I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit it, but I didn't know that I was supposed to be looking elsewhere. And well, and, and then the cool <laughs> thing, like... Uh, this is like when we were talking about like, oh, De Palma's sort of like Hitchcock plus or he would have been doing this is like, it is, yeah, clear like the big antecedent or whatever is the scene of Vertigo where he's like following her yeah. around. And uh, what's cool about this is that it is that, but then it's like, there's an, another guy following her, this like Native American character. So you're like, he's following, following, there's two followers in this scene and it's masterfully done on a film level. I was riveted just the way there's so many wide shots from above and yeah, like it feels like you're watching from above. The best thing or one of the best things Brian De Palma is just like the, and anybody would say this about him, he's just like the geography stuff. It's mm. just like, you know exactly how a space is laid out. And so then when a suspense scene starts playing out, you know, it's so satisfying because you're like, I know where this is. I know where that is. I know when he, she goes back to get the car is where she dropped it off. It's just like... And you're not even thinking of those things. And you're it's right. like the staircase shootout in Untouchables, which yeah. apparently was a last minute thing because they had a whole train shootout that was too expensive. And so they just kind of improvised that oh, scene. Oh, yeah, man. And so then he goes, he's just so well-versed in this. It's like, well, we lose a train sequence. I can come up with a cool staircase thing. Um, But uh, I love that Rodeo Drive. I walked around it. I hadn't ever, living in LA for like 15 years, I never went to the Body Double Shopping Center, but I went right before COVID. Oh, wow. Um, And I walked around. It was under construction and like the escalators were, a couple weren't working, so it was a little bit of a Are those glass elevators still there? Um, 
Yes. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Second only to the Bonaventure glass. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! If you did a a, a body double of build a building double, you go visit there, then you go to the body double shopping center. I uh, find it incredible that how unaware of her surroundings Gloria is. Uh, when I was rewatching recently, I'm like she should have been wise to that. He's following her for a moment. I almost thought she was because I, I yeah. at first I was like, why is she leaving her underwear in that bag? Is that for him? But she's just throwing away her old underwear. I guess yeah. I think she's putting on new underwear to go meet somebody who at that beach house who stands her up or something. Yeah, that's another thing that. Yeah. It's not fully. Uh, so does Sam is her husband? Yeah. Does he know she's having an affair? I don't think so. And maybe she's not even having an affair. Maybe she was just going to meet a friend and had a change of underwear. But is Why does he want to kill her again? Um because he's she's rich and he's the husband and he stands to get money if she dies, but he knows he'll be immediately yeah. uh, suspect primo suspect number 1. Yeah. But he's also not really up doing private lives in Seattle. So no. how does he intend that to be an alibi? Oh, yeah, because he goes, right, because his excuse to Jake is just like, oh, it, it didn't work out. The project didn't work out. But if somebody just, if Gloria Ravel looked into it, it'd be like, hey, there's no play. Or going. the cops. Or the cops. Yeah. Well, this is, as uh, I mentioned him already, but... Uh, 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 dear, dear friend Neil Campbell pointed out when he watched after he saw Body Double, and he loves Body Double, but he was like, All it takes is Jake Scully, the day after Gloria Ravel is murdered, picking up a newspaper to read about Gloria Ravel, the murder he witnessed, and it says, Gloria Ravel, wife of Sam Bouchard, <laughs> local actor. Oh, wait! <laughs> or even just one of the cops going, like, her husband, Sam Bouchard, yeah. is out of town. Yeah, her husband, this guy. Yeah. Here's a photo. <laughs> but I love the idea of Sam Bouchard, struggling actor, is married to beautiful Gloria Ravel in a, yeah. a mansion with a key card. <laughs> That's how you get in and out of a fancy house is with a card. I had to marry beneath my station because my voice doesn't match my face. <laughs> and a lot of men find that weird. He knew my head didn't match my voice. <laughs> um, yeah, so what is she doing nightly when Melanie Griffiths is in there? It's a bit of a hole. And man, what a what a coincidence that he saw that tape where she does the same dance. That would have been a bigger coincidence than reading in the newspaper that Gloria was married to Sam <laughs> Right. What's more likely to happen? <laughs> um, yeah, the... Um, I'd have to imagine if she's not there when you brought up the question now, I haven't thought about it, but maybe Sam Bouchard figures out a way to get Gloria Ravel out of the house so he can get Melanie Griffith in there. It has to be. Yeah. So then they share this little moment on the beach where they kiss, Mm -hmm. and then there's that crazy 360 rear projection shot. But it made me think that in in, uh, Jake's mind, he's falling in love with this woman, and Mm -hmm. that if it were to work out, and they're at a dinner party as a couple, and someone says, "How did you guys meet?" 
Jake would have to go, um, I'm going to be honest with you. I was house sitting and a guy had a telescope and he shows me this woman and she dances on the dot at the same time, midnight every night. She does a topless dance and then gets, gets along with her hairbrush just fine. And so I says to myself, I says, I think I'm going to follow this woman around town for a while. Oh, but then there's this crazy, quote, Indian following her. So I wanted to protect her. But there was a time when she wasn't in immediate danger where I did pause to watch through a window her change her underwear. Uh, do you want anything, Gloria? No, okay, I'll handle this. You're, you're doing just fine, okay. honey. And then I did I did travel 45 minutes out of L.A. proper to Long Beach to follow her to the <laughs> beach. And then I did trespass on to uh, uh, the above-stairs neighbor and then, and then she did happen to get followed by this quote Indian, and I and he took her purse, and I did chase him down, and then I got claustrophobic, and then oh, but he got away. He got away. He got away, yeah, right, honey? He, he got away. He did. I chased she, after him, but she he got always away. interrupts. She never lets me tell this story. <laughs> and then I kissed her right there on the beach, and we 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 spun around for three sixty, and um, <laughs> and that's when I realized that I really do like revolving beds. I like to get a little nauseous when I kiss. Oh yeah, do you think there's a connection between that <laughs> and the revolving know. bed? In terms of when he, the only way he can make love is by yeah. spinning around. But then I thought that, and then I thought, I bet you there's weirder shit in real life. Like stalkers probably have stalked women who then fell in love with them. And, Ooh, uh, you know, women. Oh, oh, right. And then so when they have to tell that, how did you meet? It was like it was after six months of stalking. I finally figured out a way to seem charming. <laughs> 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 yeah, or like, how did you meet? Well, she was my high school student. Jesus. Yes. Uh, um, yeah, the, uh, uh, he is a creeper. And uh, if he had to tell this story, I, I think he would focus mainly on the, like, I was protecting her. There was a strange guy yeah, following he her. He would definitely That's punch how that start. Tell friends. Punch that part up. But first time he sees... Wait, who, so who's the man stealing in the house the first time and pushing her down on the bed? That's like a, another made-up guy. I forget his name. Ravel. Oh, well, oh. Why? Um, Is that to make it seem like that's part of the conspiracy to kill her? It, it's to make Wasson, uh, Jake, Jake Wasson, think that she has a husband that's not... Craig oh, Wasson. Okay. Or that's not uh, Greg Henry. Okay. Uh, that's oh, not I Sam, mean, okay. That, that's not Sam Bouchard. Okay. So if he goes, oh, her husband, because the first person he sees before he sees the uh, Indian, as the movie calls him, the, yeah. he, he goes, he sees her get slapped around yes. by that guy in the suit. Yeah. So he can go, that's her husband. And then when her husband's out, this Indian's watching her. So he's not asking the question of, like, who's her husband? Maybe it's Sam Bouchard. But the lengths that he goes to to make the Indian welding a satellite on a tower. But do you know why he's doing that? Why? So he gets his attention to come to the window. Right. Okay. I mean... That? No, that, that checks. When I figured that out, like the I was like, ooh, but then I'm like, what? That checks. So... <laughs> that does check out. <laughs> One thing that's really problematic with this being an old movie is that he witnesses spousal abuse and does not call the police. That's part yes. one. And then later, the first time the, the Indian 
as in mm. their <laughs> in their words, attacks her. He doesn't call the police. He sits there watching for a while, and then eventually he runs over there and gets those joggers. He doesn't call her. It's weird. Yeah. He doesn't call her from the moment that he sees he's the Indian is in, in her bedroom stealing from her. Yeah. And that he wouldn't call when he he kind of goes, oh, no, the cop's dr- driving away. The cop's driving away. That's not like all hope is lost at this point, no. buddy. Um, I did love those joggers, though, because like, they're really trying to help those guys. Like They're not in it for sex like no. Jake is. But they see a, a damsel in distress. Yeah. Also, very 80s are wearing like radio head yeah. transistor radio yeah. headphones. And velour tracksuits. Yeah. yeah. Uh, these people are running for fun, for exercise. <laughs> Weirdos. Uh, <laughs> the... Uh, Oh, oh, so the um, when you were saying the this kind of extended stocking sequence, it made me think of just like, I do like this movie because I feel like each half hour is different. Yeah, it sure is. And so when you mentioned, oh, the spousal thing, I looked at it. It's like minute 25, 26 or something when she gets hit and he sees it and that's the first on-screen violence you see in the movie. Mm. And I was like, wow, the first half hour of this movie is basically just you're following a guy who's an actor and then is trying to find a place and gets this amazing place. And that's the first half hour. And then the second half hour is just this whole stalking thing. He's following her around and that takes up a big portion of it. And then at the exact hour mark, he's looking through the telescope and it does this cool thing. It, Rear Window does this too, I think, where a moment is you're entirely locked inside the point of origin where the telescope is, and then it cuts inside the space that he's looking at. Mm. And so that happens in Rear Window. Like you're watching, your only view of it is like way across far away. And then out of nowhere, she's like looking down at this like drill coming at her. Oh. Whoa, 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 whoa. How did this happen? Um, but. The and then the third half hour is the like. I realize I'm a part of a conspiracy, so I'm going to get into porn to figure this out. And then the last like twenty minutes, half hour is just the climax with the re- reservoir yeah. and stuff like that. And the music video comes between that comes the in hours. the third half hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. We're not quite there yet. But. No, no, no. But uh, <laughs> they do feel like. I mean, they're all of a piece, but the, it does feel like four different it does, yeah. weird movies. But <laughs> it's almost like like the '67 Casino Royale, where it had four directors or something. <laughs> it's like four different feels. Or well, something. it also could be yeah, somebody wants to like just has four different ideas and then kind of yeah puts them together. But um, the uh, and then it's not a half hour in until you see the Indian watching her, and I would say that's the first scary moment yeah and so cozy slow burn with this movie yeah um that's true now uh i think we have it all until oh okay until the love scene on the beach right yeah so this is the thing i was talking about where i got an answer on the is he joking is he serious thing okay so i saw this at the egyptian theater uh when i moved to la like 
lived here some time and we went and saw Body Double. It was a double feature with that in Rear Window. Oh, wow. And that scene where he starts going around her, which I had seen before and thought was ridiculous. My friends and I were watching and that scene starts and we all start laughing because it's funny. And the guy in front of us go, turns around and he goes, you want to tell, tell me what's so fucking funny? Oh my God. And we all got quiet because we're cowardly nerds. And when we left the movie, we were talking about it and we were having the conversation that you would have maybe regardless of body double. But now it felt like we're like trying to figure out a crime scene. We were like, but aren't you supposed to laugh at that? Isn't that supposed to be kind of funny? Why would we get that guy? Isn't he in on the joke? Is it a joke? Was it Brian De Palma? <laughs> no, but years pass. And I'm reading this interview with Brian De Palma. And he said, sometimes you realize you push something too far and people think it's funny. In Body Double, I did a scene that was a 360. And I thought you were supposed to be swept up in the moment. And I heard people laughing. This is exactly... Yep. Okay. So that's the answer. That's the... so it's sincere. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. Even for the time. Yeah. It has all the things on paper that you need. That shot. That music. And then they bring it back later during the porn scene when that movie is at maybe peak absurdity. Is the yeah. the Frankie goes? He has the audacity to do this like. It makes him think of Gloria Ravel on the beach. And they bring back the music and the cut between the two. Yeah, even the music's fading. You yeah. Know that, right? Yeah. yeah, then it comes up with the big lush score at that point. Okay, see, this is... I am p- constantly pushed and pulled for De Palma. Hearing that takes the faith out of some of the other things that he does that you've explained today. Not, not the, the things that are deliberate, but... I don't, he, I think he's like a master of, how do I put this? Like he's a master of film. I can't find him to be a master of emotion. I find him to be quite tone deaf on emotion. Yeah. Melodrama is his like medium, not. Yeah. No, right. Yeah. The reason you can take all the sex and violence or whatever out of Scorsese movies. And the thing people keep going back to that is like the nuance in that behavior. I've seen that emotion and feeling in my life. And it's so cool to see it on screen right now. Yeah. With Brian DePaul, but there's none of the, like the, the thing for me is the ache or the thing I feel is that like melancholy of, I want to help the situation and I I can't like there's thematic resonance in his movies, but there's not like, um, emotional. It's, it's weird. He has a ton of visual subtext, but no dramatic subtext, no character subtext. All the characters are kind of literal. They're hiding things and they have secrets, but. I wonder if it's like Kubrick a little bit where the characters aren't giving you the feeling you're supposed to be having or are locking into it. It's the combination of how the camera's moving with music plus sound and color is giving you the mood that they want you to yeah. affect or, or, or whatever the impact you're supposed to have. I don't know. What is the what is the zoom called that Hitchcock and De Palma use where you zoom in and the, dolly out? Uh, is it, it's not rack focus. It's a... A, um, a rack zoom. Rack zoom. He is rack an zoom. emotional... Daddy's ra- little cutie. <laughs> Hot tramp. <laughs> Likes to take a poopy. <laughs> 
he's an emotional rag zoom for me where they're like constantly <laughs> pulling out and moving in and you never, it's always unsettling. I find his movies to be unsettling and maybe that's intentional, but clearly sometimes it's not. So he's like kind of an idiot savant to me or something. I don't know. Yeah. Gosh, you know, like <laughs> the fact that like, yeah, I can't pin him down, I think is what's like. He's Chuck Bronsoning you. Yeah. Well, it's a little like I took a lot of delight in like the mid oddies with my friends doing like to this day, I guess, going like Barge. Told Bart he has to be a better son. No way, dude. I'm an underachiever, man. Let me let me be who I am. It's like I like the Simpsons. Why am I when we do that, it tickle me. It's like, are we taking a dump on The Simpsons? No, we like it. We're just having fun with it. Yeah. And uh, that's a little bit how I feel with, like, I'm like, I don't think this is a tart. Like, he's not, I mean, there's some satirical stuff in his movies, but it's not like the fears are supposed to be satirical. No. I don't know. Am I getting so up my own butt No, here? this is what we have to do because we... It's not even like we're trying to get to the bottom of De Palma's film theory. We're trying to get to the bottom of personally what what we feel about this yeah. movie. I've never been able to articulate it. I'm getting closer thanks to you <laughs> opening a lot of this for me. And that like, just hearing that is fascinating because that 360 would be maybe one of the main things in this movie that I would peg that he's doing ironically on purpose. I and know. then to hear that that's not the case... All my theories are out the window. I know. That's what partly, like, when I heard that, it blew my mind because it did make me kind of have to re-question a lot. And I'm partly, or I'm fully happy that we didn't, I didn't tell you at the beginning of the thing because I think it would have, like, colored a little bit. You're yeah. like, oh, wait a minute. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And then, but there's some movies where it's a little more clear cut. Like, I think, like, Casualties of War, like, it's a, it's a more, like... Uh, the intentions are clear of what he, the, the ideas he's trying to get across and stuff. Yeah, but, he he definitely has his straightforward mode. I would say this is not that. This movie. yeah 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 yeah. Mission Impossible is a oh a straightforward right. God, I forgot mode. about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean that there he's just a jobber basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Huh. Uh, it's cool that he kicked off a thing that's like a major franchise. I know. Um, and there's still some stuff that people. Use that he originated in that movie, like the uh, opening thing showing clips that are going to show up later in the movie. Oh, yeah. But that, was that from the movie or did they do that oh, also they did in that the, the TV, TV show? show. Mm. I can't remember. But it's interesting, too, just playing with masks and how this movie. Yes. Wow. Well, and there's a very, like, De Palma-ish thing in the Mission Impossible thing that's in this movie that I love so much, which is the fake reconstruction explanation where... Like at at the end, he thinks um, Jake goes. No, here's Sam Bouchard hired the Native American, oh, hired yeah. the Indian, yeah. and you see in his glasses the Native American. It's like that can't really happen because it's the same person, but because he's yeah. telling his idea of explaining it, it's yeah, also just yeah. a good way because then you buy it. You're like, well, I saw it, so I guess his theory is correct. Right. It's also why I didn't believe that it's him wearing a mask. <laughs> <laughs> that I was how like, I fell for that. Oh, I ain't buying that, <laughs> Craig. Uh, so then, are we were to the murder scene? Uh, yeah. 
Um, we're at it. Yes, the big. So uh, with the with the drill. This is. I got lost in this scene. Lost me a little bit because of the cuts back and forth between Gloria and the killer. There was something about the the framing and just the like the editing. The mm-hmm. it was like comical to me, <laughs> and that's where I was like, "Oh, is this on purpose? Is it not?" And now I'm inclined to think that that wasn't it was, it was meant to fill you with abject terror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was not. <laughs> I felt like I was watching Slumber Party Massacre or something. Then we get, I'm not jumping ahead, we can yeah, talk more about yeah, the yeah. murder thing, but then we get to the the Frankie Goes to Hollywood moment, and I was 100% in for that, and I can't explain why, coming off the heels of what I thought uh. to be such a weird artificial slasher kill. It's not like I didn't like like the 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 grotesque novelty of the drill coming through the floor with the blood was like, really cool yeah like i was like i haven't seen anything like that especially in a movie like this i saw it by myself when i first saw it i saw it by myself and i remember when i saw the drill come through the suit my jaw dropped oh my god (sighs) i couldn't believe what i was like seeing yeah but i think i'm stacking up this this like pile of falsities that i can't tell if they're sincere or not and then we get to this music video and it was like i was let free like oh you're none of this is serious all of this is crazy yeah and and who knows? Now, who now knows? we're just in this like fantasia. But he may very well have meant that to be the most serious point of all the music video. <gasps> well, the, yeah, to go back to the because the music video seems to be like when I was saying go back to go back to like the beginning when he first sees his girlfriend Chino when he goes to the bar and is like, "You don't drink." He's like, "Just keep fucking pouring me whiskey." Yeah. And then by the end, after the murder. When he's spinning on the bed with a five o'clock shadow, like drinking with, I like I don't buy it entirely with Craig Wasson, but like that this is supposed to be like that the Frankie goes to Hollywood video is also supposed to be like he is now in hell. Like, yeah, I don't think you're wrong. There's like something there to that. He's you know? he's now reached this like low point where he's starting, but like we'll get there. Okay, but that he thinks. The easiest and best way to reach Holly Body is to become a porn actor himself and gain her trust so that 22 hours after they rap, he can drop his guard. Yeah, because why doesn't he just start with, hey, I'm contacting you, I'm a film producer, I want to put you in a film. Instead, he somehow fucks trust into her? Like, it's just... Yeah, so I have to guess this is like a behavior thing where he just wants to be in a porno and he's like I'm <laughs> doing it to meet this Bali Bali because he could also go there's a lot of legitimacy in him going hey I'm Jake Scully I am an actor I was in Vampire's Kiss uh, uh, one might say that would be the best yeah. way to go yeah. hey I think I was like duped into this thing can you help me out it's such a like uh, this is such a crazy movie <laughs> Why would he? That's not the way you go about this. Uh, but yeah, so the the murder, very grisly. Yeah. Um, and then, oh, it is a little confusing when they're bopping around there because, yeah, the chemosphere is like on off Mulholland. I don't know where Gloria Ravel's house is at. And then that brick wall that she like drives out of—that's just like a, a mile from where I live. 
Oh, and, and I always go, ooh, there's the Gloria Ravel house. It's it's up in near the the, up, the Gloria Ravel house isn't near where you live. Just the brick wall that she drives across when uh, oh, he sees that the Indians on the other side yeah. waiting for her. Um, but it's so funny because it's you go around the corner and it's Tori Spellings, um, character Donna. Her house on Beverly Hills 90210, and across the street is the Griswold's house from the first vacation. What? (laughs) Wait, that wasn't shot in Chicago? No. And neither was Ferris Bueller's. That's in Long Beach. I heard that. And when I heard that, that blew my mind. I I was like, that is not a house in Lake Forest, Illinois, or something. Like, that's crazy. I didn't realize. I got to go by the vacation house. I just watched that. Oh, I. And. The, it the makes original, me so happy to walk by the Griswold house. It's You're like, the original, yeah, from Vacation, where you see, yeah, the okay. the uh, family truckster yeah. parked out front Holy in the beginning, shit. and the neighbors like come out to wave goodbye to them. Yeah. Oh uh, my god. Oh my god. <laughs> and it's just down the street from the Armed and Dangerous house. Oh uh, my there's, god. But hey, man, you're in a movie land here in Pasadena. I know, you live in L.A. You are five minutes from a movie house in some way. Uh, Oh, and just so people know, just because I'm close to the Gloria Ravel brick wall, in L.A., I'm a mile away. In L.A., you can be a mile away from opulence at any point. That's what I was saying. Yeah, yeah. Earlier, yeah. I don't just think my neighbor is Gloria Ravel. (laughs) Uh, I did see this weird stubby telescope at your house. (laughs) Do you mean my uncle, Stubby Telescope? <laughs> um, so, yeah, after the murder, then the detective comes. I I got a little meta thing here that maybe okay. you already know, but no. I was proud of myself for catching it. Because he's talking about, oh, you're an actor, huh? And he goes, yeah, I was in Heart to Heart. And oh. Craig Wasson was in an episode of Heart to Heart. And it makes me feel like they asked him about his resume so that if anybody sees Heart to Heart and he's on it, that'll feel like they're in the world of the movie. <laughs> Yeah, and be, it has the benefit of like, you're not seeing Wasson every day. You could buy that, like, hey, this, this is, is Jake Scully. He's Jake actor. Scully, and he was in an episode of. Did you watch that show? Hard yeah, I watched it, and like, it was on in syndication at like, I want to say like 10 p.m. every weeknight, and mm. I would always watch it between whatever primetime show ended and before Carson started. So, oh. My name's Max, and when they met, it was Maida. That's the opening of it. Yeah, because what is it like? Sort of who who's narrating it? Like their butler, their chauffeur, butler guy. Yeah, Max. <laughs> and it's Max, Woody Allen's friend from Woody uh, from Annie Hall. Yeah, <laughs> Woody Allen Hall. <laughs> um. So, um, a funny thing happened when uh went to the forum uh the uh. <laughs> When he put the key card, when the detective was like, he's like, yeah, she took a credit card. He's like, not a credit card, Scully, a key card. And he uses it to open the door. When he went boop on the little key card thing, I was watching on my PlayStation and my controller lost like its power. And so a little thing came up that said, your DualShock 4 battery is low. Right when he did the car key thing, so it went boop and then it went up. <laughs> oh my god, it's crossing you're crossing into the world. I fell into the world. Only Jake Scully was in Heart to Heart, not Craig Wasson. No, I, that I was in the movies. And when they met, it was Mida. <laughs> um 
the um okay so then he goes back and he's spinning on the bed and Mario the magician from Pee Wee's Big Adventure yeah I have that that's crazy Pee Wee guy (laughs) and when his agent calls him to tell him he's fired and there's that cityscape kind of fake building behind him yeah that's also um in Pee Wee's Big Adventure where the Twisted Sister video oh god (laughs) see no but yeah, I've Speak always seen that guy in, from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, I wonder what else he did. Next to Amazing Larry. But how odd is that? The It's like a porno talk show where <laughs> this does not exist in real life. It right? should, though. That actually should. Because he's like, tell me about your next picture. Yeah. Yeah. It's like he's the Carson of the. So this gets a little. Yes. Right. Right. After the syndicated episode of Heart to Heart. (laughs) Um, But there's something I think if you had to say what the. If if Brian De Palma's making a point here by making kind of a big trashy, tasteless movie and having Hollywood make it, Mm -hmm. I think is like when Jake first goes in audition and he goes. He's like, have I seen you in anything? And Jake Scully goes like, uh, you mean anything good? He's like, well, you are working, right? And I was like, oh, they're setting up kind of this like echelon of like movies, you know? You can be in an A, you can be an actor, and you can be in an A plus movie, or you can be in a B movie, or a Z movie, and this guy's like, what's that? Or a porn movie. Or a porn movie. Yeah. Exactly. And this is the other like, and then... I think the joke of the movie once he's in the porno world is like, Oh, it's so close to his, like they, he runs into another a fellow actor yeah. and they have a conversation and the two of them don't know they're talking about different things. And this movie itself is straddling. Yeah. All three. I would, I would say pornography to be to a movie. This that's movie is a right, mix of Gourley, it. That's yeah. awesome. I don't know if that's intentional. <laughs> no, but. I think it is. I think it is. I think Brian DePaul was a, a, a now, whether his dividing lines of what's like bringing him pleasure, I think yeah. you could go like, oh, is he just does he just love lurid? Period, yeah. and later goes, well, it's interesting how like yeah yeah, uh, but um, this kind of like oh, where is the boundary of what's the difference here? But I think it is kind of like a thumbing your nose, sort of like what is the difference between your big Hollywood movies and porn. Yeah. It's all objects. It's all pleasure. It's all just getting people. You you don't really care if you could make porn and it would be okay. You would make it because it'd make you a lot of money. But, um, uh, it really seems that way when there's a porno talk show (laughs) in this, in this universe, it seems like, Oh, the lines are completely gone. Uh, now, that brings us to the when he goes into the Tower Records. Yeah. So this movie, if it existed, just to show you what that inside of that Tower Records oh, looked God, like. Yeah. Did you ever get to go to that one? Is which one is that? I think it's the one on. I never went, and it breaks my heart. And I guess I definitely didn't go during this era. The sunset one. Yeah. I went later era. I went in the nineties, but I and so it had been. It didn't look like that anymore inside. It wasn't all like mirrored. And no fuchsia. No, not that I recall. What was it like? Was it like a big sun coat? Like a kind yeah, of cooler? Yeah, it was more like really well lit and bright. Um, kind of, it looked more like Amiibo Records inside. Okay. My recollection. 
going yeah. there wants to see an in-store performance by the Bare Naked Ladies <laughs> at at that Sunset Tower Records. <laughs> Did he recognize you? I, we didn't know each other. He, at he was that like, time. "You're at the other Tower Records performance." Uh, <laughs> no, that oh no, that was yeah the the bus in San Diego. No, um, that was the first time I think I saw him. Actually, was at that Sunset Records. But that look was every kind of Music Plus warehouse at the time. And in in Whittier, Sam Goody was not called Sam Goody at the time. It had the best name for a record store ever, Licorice Pizza. Oh, I see it in Fast Times. Yeah. They're yeah. outside of Licorice Pizza. Well, yeah. And I didn't know it meant records. Yeah, and because you don't immediately put it together. But then the graphic is a woman holding a pizza on a tray, except it's a steaming record. Perfect. Licorice and, yeah, Pizza. Our... our like the closest record store I lived to was a licorice pizza and then it got turned into a Sam Goody. Lucky you. <laughs> that is so cool. Uh, did you get to see it? Did you ever go to just other places? Uh, Tale of the Pup in Body no. Double? You know, that the hot dog place oh, that looks no. like a hot dog? No. So I, as a kid, I only really got into downtown LA because mm-hmm. I lived in the easternmost wet of easternmost area of LA County, Whittier. I think La Habra is the only city more east. Mm. So my dad worked in downtown and that's when he would take me to the Bonaventure and a lot of downtown stuff. But we would rare, I'd go to Universal Studios, but I never got into like the west side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like, so as a kid, I almost never got over there. Yeah. Cause I never saw the tale of the pup. Cause yeah, I think yeah. it was on, is that gone now? Yeah. yeah. I think it was, it was near the Beverly center. Okay. And then, um, yeah, for really good West Side LA stuff of this time period, I like um, American Gigolo has a lot of good stuff. Like he's walking oh. outside theaters in like Westwood and stuff. I'd like it looks to see awesome. That. Century yeah. City, I think I told that I, I we, he took us to see Flash Gordon there, and we spent a day in Century City. So I have that kind of locked in. But like right on. none of the Fairfax area really I was familiar with. Or yeah, anything. yeah. Um, that's so cool. Well, the. Uh, Oh, so when he goes to this Tower Records, I had a little freeze frame mm. and to see like what movies are out. Um, and I have to guess some of these were chosen intentionally because, oh, okay, wow. so um, just ones I saw just in general, Tootsie, Trading Places, The Dark Crystal, Staying Alive, Flashdance, Porky's 2, then... Citizen Kane, Scarface, and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now, there's a moment oh where he's standing at the counter. Above him is the Raiders, uh-huh. and to the right is Scarface. Uh, and <laughs> and then, I never noticed this before. On the counter, there's a stack of Marvin Mitchelson on divorce videotapes. And next to it, it says please take a number. It has like a please take a number next to it. Yeah. So I looked this guy up. Marvin Mitchelson was Los Angeles's number one divorce attorney. And he was the guy who came up with palimony. And if you were going to go through a costly divorce, this was the guy you hired. Now, Brian De Palma, when this movie was getting made, was going through a divorce because uh, Nancy Allen divorced him not entirely for this, but shit hit the fan because he didn't cast her in Scarface. Oh my god! And it sent things, but I think I'm sure it was 
other reasons too, but she that was one of those flip books. Yeah. And so he's going through a divorce and there's a joke that when you go to the tower records in Hollywood, they have a, please take a number next to the Marvin Mitchelson on divorce tapes. Oh my God. Wow. Good find. Eagle eye. I was very excited about that. Uh, but yeah, when he goes and cause he goes there cause he sees the dances in the similar video. I love that this movie is like his detective work is going to the porno section <laughs> at a video store. I gotta get to the bottom of this case. It's gonna be. A, I don't want to do it, but uh, I mean, I will. I will do it. My professionalism forces me to. Yeah, it's not like I'm gonna watch these and then turn on the revolving. <laughs> no, no. Um. So okay. yeah, I think that brings us to the Frankie goes to Hollywood section. Um, cause he goes to the, the set and he auditions. Yeah. Okay. So just so people know, um, this is a music number sent to, set to Frankie goes to Hollywood's relax. Yes. Featuring Frankie himself and others. Right. I think I pulled one of the other band members. I could be wrong. Oh, okay. I don't know. But well, first of all, let me just say that when a song is used in a movie, it frequently gets remixed, and songs just sound so good in movies because yeah. you know, we have a home theater system set up, and so I'm just getting this song like I don't get it on a radio. And so I'm just feeling it. That I is like great. The song, and I'm like, this, like I said, this moment kind of freed me up to relax a little into this movie, uh-huh. going, okay, just have some fun, because clearly the movie is... But then I was kind of half convincing myself, this is a music video within a movie because it has that real like trope of 1984 specifically, like Hot for Teacher, where nerds were big in movies like a Waldo. You know, there was just a sort of like, oh, I can't get a break. Hot women don't like me. And they were always dressed like this was such... What is it? That was a very... I don't know. And they would shoot them with like a fisheye lens. Yeah. So I have convinced myself <laughs> that I had somehow heard the story that, oh, this video's in the middle of this movie, but they also double used it as a video for the song, which I don't think is true. No, but that's uh, Brian De Palma was like, they were making music videos for movies. And I thought, well, why don't you just put the music video in the movie and then you can pull it out and use it as the music video. So that's why he shot so it that way. So did they do that? And then MTV was like, it's too, uh, too sexy. It, it, oh, like, because wow. I don't know okay, what that so music I, video would look like. Does he say that in that De Palma documentary? Maybe that's where I got Maybe, that from. Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but so, I, okay. I was just taken away by this. And you're getting to hear it on an awesome, like, yeah, a, a sound system for a movie is probably better than it is through a phone. Yeah, it's like you just, especially when you're in a theater and a song plays over credits in a theater, it always just sounds so good because you're getting, it's remixed usually in 5.1 or something. Well, yeah, and then you talked about like the the sort of poindexter trope but like every sort of 80s thing is flung in there like <laughs> the leather S&M guys yeah, yeah. the Marie Antoinette bartender oh god yeah I don't know if you notice like off to the side even though this is like a leather bar kind of situation there's also just like cure goth kids like on I need the dance to floor there's like just this. some goth kids dancing off to the side like doing they're like, like chubby the, doing the Snoopy dance or <laughs> yeah. the, the peanuts dance I need to just rewatch this section cause well did you notice when he goes through the door when the mirror 
on the door shows the crew. Yes, that's yeah. that's when it coalesced to me where I, I even turned to Amanda and went, this is where I'm in because now I feel like this movie knows what it is. It may have before, but I didn't know this movie knew what it was. When I saw the film crew, I'm like, everything aligned. Oh, that's and awesome. And I think like we got off before and after this, but there's that moment where like <laughs> the axes yeah. converge. That's great. And all was well, and yeah. I just felt peace. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> De Palma does make you feel unsettled. And so in that moment, I felt settled. And maybe that's the beauty of a De Palma film is that possibly at one moment in each film, it all converges. You, you, get, a, you get that <laughs> perfect singularity or something. I yeah. And maybe somebody's love for De Palma is marked by how often they get those convergences yeah. within a movie. Because I get like 10 of them. Right. And so I love them. And then you're like, I get a two or three per yeah. movie. But the uh, it's so funny because... I would get these books called film flubs where they would list the movie mistakes. <laughs> I think I know those yeah. books. Yeah. And I remember they had one for my favorite chapters were always the one where the crew was visible in the movie. Yeah. And I remember they did for body double. They were like, you can see the crew in the mirror. Oh, come on. And then when I watched body double, I was like prepared. I was like, Oh, I'm going to get to finally see this thing I read about in film flubs. I'll get to see the crew. And I was like, well, that's the joke, dummy. Yeah, absolutely. It's. I'd like to line it up with the man with the golden gun because there is that flub in the man with the golden gun when they're in a fight scene and a mirror gets twisted and you see almost the exact same shot as body double, just the crew with the light. Uh. And it is a flub where this obviously is not. Yeah, I don't know why those are my favorites just because I feel like they're more interesting than the continuity ones where it's just like, yeah. oh, the croissant had a bite and then it oh, didn't yeah. have a bite. Like, and because a lot of times those aren't, errors per se they're saying like like Scorsese specifically saying I don't care about continuity yes. I want the best feel as well he should so it's an it's an understood like he's not being negligent well and I hate the attitude of the film flows but a lot of these are always like they love using the term like magic and sorcery <laughs> it'll be like what magician was on set that restored the bite of the croissant I guess there must have David Copperfield in Terry <laughs> yeah. Jane that's why there was no <laughs> no continuity here in territory. I'll bet there's some, <laughs> but if there are, it's because he wasn't in the scene. Yeah, and he couldn't. Yeah, he wasn't script supervising. Uh, um, yeah. Th so, um, that's all I have okay. on the video. I, in fact, that's mostly all I have on the film. Oh, I also like, yeah, I like in the music video also, um, there's bathrooms for studs and sluts. Oh, God. Um, that would be in a video. Oh, and the fact that this is shot on the Warner Brothers lot. Like, I'm just thinking of how crazy that this, like, weird... It was back when it was called the Burbank Studios, and Columbia uh, shared it with Warner Brothers. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and... Um, you are a regular wealth of Columbia Studios. I'm I love this stuff. with that when, time period. When you bust I, out, like, the logo facts and differentiations, it's it's heaven. Corley, I do it because I can with you. I You can and more. And then it goes out to other people here, and me, and I, that's why I could never re-listen to this, because I'm like, God, I'm no. talking about the Burbank Studios. People come to this podcast voluntarily, and they are free to leave voluntarily but those who stay must want to hear this stuff and we you know thank god for podcasting oh, I it's hope. a niche niche market well the end of the the little music video the i noticed two things it's like where he goes uh where's the cum shot this isn't last tango um, I did think like oh that is what to Palma said is the difference yeah. between all these movies the one thing that's different is 
one shows a penis ejaculate and one doesn't. Yeah, it's, it's like a funny true. distinction. And in, then the, hearing the behind the scenes story of Last Tango, it's way no different. <laughs> yeah, that's right. How can you be no more way different? What? <laughs> and uh, then uh, the other thing was, I did think Jake becomes a true actor in that moment when he climaxes because he's using a memory from his life. Oh, yeah, sense memory. To fully become present in the moment and achieve the goal of the scene. In his flashback memory, he should have got a flashback of the acting teacher, too. (laughs) Think of, though, if this was used as a music video, how amazing it would be because most music videos were shot in 16 millimeter, and I'm sure this was shot in 35, right? Yeah, I would have. It ended with the 360 going around, like cutting back to Gloria Ravel. Just as I know, would that have been in there? (laughs) Probably, because who cares? There's weirder shit in in movies. I mean, videos, yeah. Um, And I think a porno movie would kill to have a budget. Oh, yeah. Be shooting on 35 like that. Kidding. (laughs) Shooting all over 35. Uh, The, uh, uh, now, Okay, so then we meet uh, uh, Holly Body. Only now do we meet Holly Body. Now she her first line is at eighty minutes. Oh my god! Is when she speaks, and then um, so then they go. Oh oh, one thing I want to Oops, say: sorry. when he goes to visit an audition for that guy, the porno producer. Yeah. Did. You notice that his office is like he has a window overlooking the sets? Sure I did. I, Mad Magazine did like a spoof of like a horror movie set and they drew it to look like that, that it was like overlooking multiple sets from somebody's office. Oh, wow. And it put in my mind, that's how sets are. And then I see this in Body Double. I think maybe multicam sitcoms maybe have that setup where people are up in a booth and looking down at sets. But I've never encountered it in my life, no. and I want to. It looks so cool. I also like in Mr. Mom, and I even think Gung Ho, that the offices yep. overlook the factories. But I always like, thought it was weird that Michael Keaton is in two offices like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Like in Gung Ho, I'm yeah. like, this is the Mr. Mom office. Yeah, I love that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, and then a thing I noticed, never saw this before. It took podcast eyes to notice this. <laughs> but in that background when they're shooting scenes and then you see it a little bit more in the close-up of the uh, producer in the background is holly body's body double it's melanie griffith's body double as holly body wow wow yeah man just think about all the layers (laughs) dude um okay so speaking of layers she's tippy hedron's daughter tippy hedron's in uh was a hitchcock gal uh the birds the birds yeah and um, there's some lines that she has that are pretty great. Um, maybe my favorite is when she says, it's wait, a shirt. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. <laughs> it's a sure 10 on the Peter meter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you were I'm glad I got music for that too. It really helped. My mask. Wow, you really like the mask theme. <laughs> Lifter on. Lifter does not mean what it thinks you mean. What? <laughs> what? I just, that's just for the mask heads out there. 
Just for the mass kids. You were afraid we couldn't go more niche? <laughs> he also, in that line, he goes, you've got a terrific. And she goes, oh, wait, wait. <laughs> you've got a terrific. Well, it's so funny because this is wholesome. So okay. keep it going, but okay. it's funny. <laughs> you've got a terrific body. No. Smile. Oh, God, that's right. That's like after, 30 seconds after, she's like, I won't do any scenes with fisting. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so then they come back home. Um, Oh, if somebody can help explain this to me, they're in a bar, they're having drinks, sure 10 on the Peter meter scene, Uh and there's waitresses and waiters going by them, and then... They bump into his actor friend, the other woman. That seems like it's in a house. I was thrown by that, too. I I, I thought so, too. Was it a catered party? Uh, they don't... They didn't give you much explanation. I also got confused early on that Sam didn't know Jake, but said, you got acting class later or, something, or see you at acting class or something. It, it takes was- a long time for me to pick up what he does. He... Yeah, hears at that first one that he's going to go to that other acting class. And he meets up, he follows him there to go to that one, even though he's not a student. Okay. Which is, I guess, because he's trying to find the mark to put in this very simple, deceptively simple plan (laughs) of dressing up like a Native American. Yeah, this plan is rivaling... You want to know how I got these scars? <laughs> Do you think Christopher Nolan watched this to get ideas on I, how you can set up a convoluted? Yeah, and Sam Mendes for Skyfall. <laughs> they they admire uh, uh, Sam Bouchard and his ability for <laughs> He's the, their the long con. Um, so, and and what's also just yeah once she appears because the movie up until this point is such a slow burn yeah the last like 34 minutes are just like a fever dream it's just I like know. she goes back to the to the, the the bed they get on the bed and then she runs out and there's a car accident that's off camera and then and then he's screaming at the cop to say look she's being abducted and that car's pulling out in a like violent way but the cop won't even peripherally acknowledge (laughs) it It is crazy and then they end up in what I think is the Valencia aqueduct is it I think it is yeah when I see it when I go to like Valencia like six flags you see that little aqueduct running down the hill yeah not little it's pretty mighty it really is so yeah what is that what does that do I'm assuming it's a like aqueduct to bring water into that valley and that's why there are those like teeth sticking up to slow it down Whoa. or something I, that's all yeah podcast conjecture but geographically this is not how this isn't where sam bouchard would probably go no but it feels like chinatown yeah which that um lake hollywood is the area where i think they pull the body out of the water in chinatown mm. where he's like you want to talk to him he's right here and they pull oh, yeah. um but uh, yeah, I've never been there, but when I do drive by that area, I go, oh, is that the body double? Uh, it looks like it. And then when we watch Creep Show 2, remember the, um, uh, 
<laughs> the actor with the Native American like long wig, Colt. Uh, yeah. Holt. Holt. Yeah. Colt all Mind the time. Hunter guy. Yeah. Uh, Holt yeah. McHenry or Holt, Holt, yeah. McCall. But remember how he used it as like he was like I'm gonna embrace that yeah. this wig looks like shit. Yeah. I'm gonna like always be running my hands. He does through like it the Barbara. Uh, uh, oh. Uh, b- God. Crystal Gale? No. Barbara Rangel? No. <laughs> God, I wish. Barbara Streisand kind of hair <laughs> pushback. <Yeah. laughs> the uh I noticed when he's he's digging the grave by the reservoir. He gives the slightest bit of Does he? Holt. Oh yeah. god. The Holt flip. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> um so you were tricked by the mask, I wasn't. Um <laughs> Uh, I do like the okay so you know I told you the story about my freak out when I was scuba diving and had a panic attack Yeah, it's easy for me to get locked into claustrophobia and in a movie like when somebody's buried alive like the Kill Bill volume 2 sequence just Mm. like blew my holy crap I was like so uh, enthralled by that but I gotta say the one maybe fault of this movie is it doesn't really capture claustrophobia. No. It it to be honest, it felt like I want to do Vertigo. Yeah. What's an analog? It, uh, even so much so that after I watched, I was like, they didn't even give a reason for him being claustrophobic, but they did, and I forgot it. Yes. And that's probably on me. <laughs> but, no, no, no. I think yeah, because it's in this acting sequence where you're like, yeah, uh, yeah. Because um, that tunnel, like at the beginning of the movie. When he's the vampire underground, yeah. I think, well, it's not that, you could just, claustrophobia to me is like, there's no hope that I could get out of here. Yeah. And when he's in the grave, it's kind of like, well, the camera's just off to your side, but you could squirm out if you if there was a- 100%. And then when he's in the tunnel and he has that freak out and the, he's, the Indian's able to take the card and run away and he can't go after him because- He's in a tunnel, and you you could, I would think, run to the exit freely. It'd make more sense to just keep going, and yeah. you'll get out the other side. Um, I feel it a little bit when he's in the grave and he's getting yeah, but it's not until that moment where I'm finally like feeling his claustrophobia. It's I love this movie, yeah. but that's the one thing where I'm like, they could have nailed that a little bit better. Yeah, the the ending took me back, undid what Frankie Goes to Hollywood did, in that it just, it's uh, it is something strange in that grave fight that then goes to the movie sequence. It's like all happy. Yeah. And I I like the like meta thing of you're seeing the body double replaced and everything, but. I also just I think it's a effect of this being a almost forty year old movie where I didn't love seeing Jake Scully victorious because mm-hmm. he doesn't really do anything that redeeming other than trying to save both women, but yeah. it seems like born out of really cagey circumstances or something. Yeah, well, Blowout has like an amazing ending, mm. and this one feels like a little bit like, but. It can be not everybody's, it's not a crowd pleaser. Yeah. And so this feels a little like corny and it's kind of like, but also like when Holly Body's on the set and she's like, you're going to make a lot of, like, it's a little yeah, corny. I also was thrown by the fact that he was fired and now he's back. 
And I was yeah. like, is that a dream? Is he dying and dreaming? I didn't know where it was I going. I mean, the other one was a fantasy sequence, and it it's what got him out of the grave. So if you wanted to argue, like, oh, it's over, kind of like happy endingness is part of a fantasy, I, I'd buy that. Like, Or was the whole thing a dream? <laughs> it was all in the mind of that white dog. Or there's got to be some think piece of the first time he gets claustrophobia in that scene, he, he yeah. passes out and dreams the whole thing. Well, I noticed that like um, when he goes and he tells off Ruben, the director, and he gets fired, the woman who at the end goes, um, now be very careful, I'm on my period. Oh, yeah. Uh, you see her as the body double off to the side when he gets fired. She's like already there. Oh. Because um, they're shooting oh, that scene. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Which means probably they just shot both of those things on the yeah, same day and still. she was there. They're like, yeah, you could be here too. But uh, <laughs> um, that uh, ending is like, oh, the ending I do like is right, but I mean, I love the ending, ending, ending. But like the moment right before they go to, when they're on set is kind of a cool ending where He's trying to, he's standing on the edge of the reservoir on the grave and he's trying to get her to come out of the grave. And she's like, No, you're sick. You're crazy. You're weird. Because she has no idea what she's caught up in. Yeah. For her, he's still a creep. Yeah. And I wonder if that would be like, I remember when I watched Body Double once, I was watching with somebody and they're like, they thought it ended in that moment. And they were like, Oh, that was cool. Because they thought it was going to end with just like, he got called a creep at the yeah, end. Yeah. And so it's sort of like what you're saying. Maybe that would have been like the better ending. Yeah, she like I continues so. to be like, yeah, you're still weird, dude. I think so. <laughs> well, Gorley, is this the longest we've talked about I a think, goddamn movie? I think we're approaching it. I don't so much so that we're almost out of battery for this remote recorder. So we we should probably get to best kill our ratings yes. and then uh, next movie picking. Ooh. My oh god! Is there only one? I guess there's the death of the Indian. Although that felt like ripe for a sequel. Um, but yes. best kill for me is the hands down Gloria. Yeah, mine too. Okay, and then out of thirteen, I waited fully to think about this, and I'm glad I did because you opened my eyes to a lot. Oh, ooh, that's nice. That's good. Let's see what our last. We both, yeah, what's the highest we've given? We a... both gave 10s to Terror Train. Okay. People in the Stairs was 5.5 for me, 7.5 for you. And um, Drag Me to Hell was 8.5 for me, 9 for you. Okay. All right. I, I got mine. I, I got mine. Yeah, I'm going to go 11 for Paul Rust. Wow. For Paul Rust, for Body Double. I'm going seven, so together we are one hell of a convenience store. Yeah, we're, we're a one-stop shop uh, for horror movie podcasting. Okay. Yeah. Oh, great. So I get to... Yeah, you, me, um, do you have, did you cross out the other ones? I didn't. Because I didn't cross yeah. them out last time. And I, okay, so... I was like, later, truly, Gorley, I was like, oh, I didn't cross them out. That would have been fun if I crossed them out. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm crossing them out. Off my head, what's left is, is Gremlins, The Brood, Scanners, Motel Hell, American Werewolf in London, and there's one more. I'm going to grab these from different parts of the list. I'm not reading them in order. Motel Hell, Brood, American Werewolf in London, Sleepaway Camp, Sleepaway Camp yeah. Scanners, Gremlins. Okay, so what numbers can I not choose? You can't choose two, 
You can't choose four. Oh, you can't choose six. You can't choose three. You can choose one, five, ten, six, nine, seven. I'm going to go five. <laughs> it's gremlins. Holy shit, are you kidding me? Are those like one through five U and are they randomized? No, they're they're every other. Oh God, that's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Gremlins it is. Gorley, isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Wow. We couldn't have I mean you My could... first my if people don't know. My five picks were the first five we randomly chose. But that works out so nicely because we're going to take a week break in the middle. So it'll be Paul's puppies and Matt's. Well, I was going to say mutts, but they're not mutts. But I was trying to keep my, A lot of my canine. movies are mutts. <laughs> uh, well, that's exciting. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm curious if we went longer than any other movie on this. We'll find out soon enough. But... Well, it was, it was quite the journey. Yeah, it was body double the amount of uh, amount of time it should have been. <laughs> no, I just want to thank you for being my uh, guide through that because that really enhanced it for me. So okay, good. It. That was really fun. Good. Well, I, I had fun too. And uh, we'll see you next week with uh, Joe Dante's Gremlins. Ooh. Bye. 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 For more Gorley and Rust content. Head over to patreon.com slash with Worley and Rust to get episodes ad-free and a whole week early. Plus, monthly mailbag episodes and feature-length watch-along film commentaries of your favorite horror classics. That's patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust. Email us at withgorleyandrust at gmail.com and your questions might be featured on a future mailbag episode. With Gorley and Rust theme song by me, Matt Worley, and performed by Townland. You can find us on Instagram as Townland Band as well as Paul's fantastic band at Don't Stop or We'll Die. And why not rate and review with Gorley and Rust on Apple Podcasts? It'll help us grow the show and keep us trucking through the Jasons and the Michaels, the Leatherfaces and the Chuckies, the Aliens and the Candymans. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.